Hello everyone and welcome back to Rain on Your Parade. Today we're going to be talking about Stranger Things Season 1, Episode 1. You know, we're going to start at the beginning. I don't think I have to do a whole entire like episode to introduce the show, even though there are things I want to talk about. But as far as this podcast, the first episode of this season about E.T. was a lot longer than my usual. And for some reason, um, I don't know if it was because it was about E.T. or because it was so long that um, my listener count jumped quite significantly after I posted that episode. So if you're new here, welcome. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for all the weird things. And there was something I wanted to correct. Um... I'm not quite sure. I think it was in the Secret of Nim episode I was talking about the movie Alien as far as like um in the 80s and 90s like women were put into movies as having power and a lot of the time though their motivation was just being a mother which was kind of like a stereotype and I said something about Ripley that wasn't her motiv motivation in the movie Alien and um then I realized like wait I'm not sure, because I know that was the alien's motivation, um, actually, um, but I know there was a little girl in it, but I don't know if it was her daughter or just some girl she found in the ship. Like, I really don't, I've never seen that movie, and um, which I should have, but um, I've been taking a master class from James Cameron, and he has put, in a lot of his movies, he puts, you know the main character or the hero of the story is usually a woman. And he wasn't exactly the most, you know, because uh, Sarah Connor, you know, her whole purpose in life was to have a kid that became the hero later, you know, and it's like, that's a little, uh, but at the same time, and I just also found out that she was, her personality and the fact that she was a waitress was based on his wife, which is really cool. I don't know, but anyway. And then he talked about Rose, and Rose is a great character from Titanic. And he was talking about how he doesn't think that, like, because sometimes people say, like, if you're not a woman, a man can't write a main character that's a woman. And it's like, you know, <laughs> if you want diversity in films or things that people write, then you're going to have to have people writing from a perspective sometimes that's not their own. I mean, you don't necessarily have to make them the main character, but I get where he's coming from. I get where other people are coming from, too. Um, the problem with that is, like, when you don't respect them or you don't write them correctly, men writing women has always been an issue. Always. Um, but some of them you can kind of tell they respect them more or they have a better grasp of what they're talking about. But also, like, Margaret Atwood said, like, you go to that person, a person, you know, that is a woman if you're a man or a man if you're a woman, and are like, you know, I need your input. That's why Stephen King, which a lot of people talk about, Stephen King can't write women either, but it's like, he's better than most. I mean, he did write Carrie, and it's, you know... He's better than most, um, by a long shot, and a lot of that has to do with Tabitha, his wife, who helps him, you know, with that. So it's like, I don't think you have to only, you know, I don't, I don't agree with the fact that, like, you know, you have to be a specific nationality or race or gender to write about that or have that be the main character, that experience. But the problem is so many people 
so many books and stories and characters have been written only from the white male perspective for so long. That's what we have a problem with. That's what I have a problem with. Like, we can't only see women's point of view from the perspective of a, a white man. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you want to write a man character that's a black woman and you're a white man, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying that, like, that shouldn't be all that we ever have. We need more people telling their own stories or stories that they relate to based on, you know, their culture or their background or their life experience. So, you know, I'm not saying they can't ever. That's what's the problem. Because when you say things like we need more people telling stories about their own, you know, we need more women telling women's stories. Well, then men will automatically take that as like, oh, you're saying I can't write from a woman's perspective. No, I'm not. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying that, like, we just need more women doing it, too. You know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at. You know, I mean, I totally agree that we need more, you know, diverse perspectives, not just in character, but in the people making the movies or making the books or whatever. Totally. I'm totally for that. 100%. I'm on, I'm on the, you know, I'm leading the charge. I really want that. I totally want that, but, like, that doesn't mean, that's not to say that, like, James Cameron should not have written Rose as the main character, you know, he should have just, you know, focused mainly on Jack because he's a white man, too, or something like that, like, no, 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 that's not good, either, uh, that's not what we, that's not what I assume anybody means by that, I, I assume people mean, like, you know, everybody, can write from a bunch of different perspectives, but, you know, we need more, like, people of color writing, you know, people of color. You know, we need more people of color writing, period. Or, you know, there's too many, like, white males overtaking every job and making everything and being in charge of everything all the time, forever. And it's like, we need more diversity behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, you know, like in front of the camera and behind the camera, you know what I'm saying? Like that thing. And, um, just all around, you know, diversity everywhere. And that way it's like, and I understand his, his point because he's like, you can have empathy with somebody. You might not be able to understand completely what they've been through. Cause you never will, but you never will with anyone, but especially, you know, somebody who's been through stuff you've never been through, but you can't ever understand that totally, but you can empathize. You know what I mean? Like men can empathize with women. You know, men will never understand what it's like to be a woman in a sexist society, but they can empathize. And I don't, I'm not saying they can't ever write from that perspective. James Cameron actually did a wonderful job with Rose, I think on Titanic and, uh, even, you know, Ripley or Sarah Connor. Um, some of the things are a little dated or from a male perspective, like Sarah Connor's biggest, the thing that made her important was the fact that she was going to birth a son, you know, that would be the hero. So it's like, that's a little weird. <laughs> why couldn't it just be her? You know, why couldn't it be about her specifically? Why did she need to have a son? Why couldn't she even have a daughter that would, you know, so it's like, I'm sure he didn't see it that way. But we're blind to our own prejudices and privileges and, and our own perspectives of how sexist we really are, or how biased we really are. But anyway, that's a whole big discussion. But then again, you know, the Duffer Brothers writing Stranger Things, you know, they wrote from a multitude of perspectives in this. Um, you know, there's not only, there's not a singular point of view in Stranger Things. 
there's several. So they relate, I'm sure, and you can feel it in the show, they relate to the young boys playing D&D. I feel like that's where they relate to most, you know, and maybe they kind of relate to Jonathan, you know, <laughs> like they have, you know, perspectives of growing up in the 80s, being kids in the 80s. That's where their perspective is. And that's where, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, that's totally fine that they, you know, that they would relate more to like a Dustin or, or Will or whoever personally. Um, that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, but they, they are not, you know, you know, like Joyce as a character, they put her role as being someone who's a mother who's concerned for her son, but that's not the singular female perspective. Um, because we have Eleven, we have Max, we have Nancy, you know, we have Barb at the beginning. So, you know, they're not entirely focused only on men. And we, you know, the show passes the Bechtel test, which is good um, at some points, you know. But it's like <sighs> Eleven herself is so important. And the fact that they brought this character to the world is is my favorite thing that's ever happened um as far as like media goes um i had heard about the show and i hadn't watched it it came out in like the first season came out in like uh, july or summertime sometime phone's ringing but i'm gonna ignore it um <laughs> and the year that this happened was one of the hardest i've ever it's one of the hardest things because for me, because I was just coming to the realization of something, some trauma that had happened to me in my past. And, um, I was just really working through a lot of trauma and, um, getting over trauma, you know, and then coming into new trauma based on, you know, um, just realizing that past trauma had happened and, uh, you know, epiphany or whatever you call it uh what do they call it like a, having a breakthrough and realizing that you were traumatized in the past whatever that's called <laughs> um so you know that was where I was at and I didn't pay attention to you know stranger things that it you know I heard people talking about it but I didn't you know I didn't watch it yet and then I started dating this guy and we were kind of comparing traumas <laughs> I mean he has been traumatized but he had been traumatized too, but he was coming out of a divorce and like all these other things. And we were kind of like, I was, we were kind of like sharing, you know, getting over things together, you know, and, um, that didn't work out because I was not allowed to be traumatized too. Like he could be traumatized, but I was not allowed. I had to be the strong one. I had to be, I couldn't, you know what I mean? It was all, you know, I'm not going to go there with what happened, but what I was feeling was this was my last chance to, to, there is no one who will ever understand me or I will, I will never, you know, I was feeling very like, I'm too much for everyone. You know what I mean? Like everyone, not just boys or people to date, but like everyone. I'm too weird. Um, I will never, you know, and that was kind of like part of the, 
problem with our relationship was I'm weird and he's he he wanted me to be a normal step for wife type thing and it's like why does this keep happening to me every guy I try to date they want me to be you know normal and step for wife like you know and like a, you know want kids and blah 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 and it's like I don't want kids I don't care if I get married really you know I don't want to be like a step for wife basically and they always have a problem with that and not only that but like other things it's like well you're weird because you know, you do this or that, you know, you're just not like everyone else. And that's a problem, you know, for everybody that I try to date and for most people that I try to be friends with. So I was feeling very like this was it, you know, and it was like, not just kind of hard. It was like, I was in deep despair. I mean, like deep, deep, deep despair. Like I couldn't handle it. And also, on top of the fact that that was around the time that Chris Cornell died. And it was like, there goes another person in the world that was weird, you know, who's not here anymore. And, like, it was just so hard for me. Part of the reason me and this guy quit talking is because he talked bad about Chris Cornell. And I'm like, you don't do that. You don't do that. And he said people who commit suicide are selfish. And I was like, I don't, I don't associate with people that say that. So, um... I stopped talking to him even as a friend because of that. And, uh, it was just, I was like, am I the only person on earth that will ever feel like this? And add to the fact that I was going to therapy and my therapist even told me, you will never fit in anywhere ever. You will never feel like you fit in no matter where you go, which is a bad thing maybe to tell somebody, but, um, <laughs> it, it takes the pressure off. You know what I mean? It's not, it wasn't necessarily bad, but it was a realization of she's right and not, that's true. And, and it was like really hard to deal with, you know, knowing that. And, it, and it's true. And, but what it does in a healing way is, is it tells you stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to make yourself what you're not so that other people approve of you you be yourself and you know that's what she was saying but like at the time I was just like hopeless you know what I mean I felt hopeless like there was no hope and that you know it was that period of time I had no one to talk to I had no one to turn to I didn't feel like I had any friends at all and I was alone at my house, and it was nighttime, and I had friends, but I just couldn't talk about this kind of stuff with them, you know, um, but I was at home alone, and it was nighttime, and I was like, I had just watched, like, Sherlock or something, I had finished watching Sherlock, and, you know, Pretty Little Liars was off forever after that, and all this other stuff, and I was like, I need to find something to watch, because, you know, that'll cheer me up, maybe, or I was just bored, you know, and I was like, everybody keeps talking about Stranger Things. Maybe I'll try it. You know, I was just like, I'll try it. And I started to watch it. And, like, the first few scenes, the first few seconds are, like, so scary when you're home alone at night. <laughs> you know, when you don't even know what's happening. So I was, like, home alone and it was nighttime and, you know, the first scene came on. And I was like, this might be too scary for me to watch right now. And um, I was kind of looking at my phone, kind of not paying attention because I didn't want to get scared you know, and I'm like, I don't know how scary this is going to get. So, you know, 
I wasn't paying that much attention, and um, I started watching it. I watched the first episode, and I was like, strange indeed, because, you know, we saw the first episode, you know, in the first episode, we see some strange, you know, things. But I wasn't paying that much attention. So I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna wait until daylight so I can actually, like, pay attention without worrying about being scared. And so I watched the first episode that night and I didn't tell anybody, you know, I didn't say anything to any of my friends or anything. And, um, so the next day before work, cause I worked in the evenings at that time, but I, I worked at a place where I could watch shows, you know, at work <laughs> on Netflix, you know, I could take my computer to work and watch shows on it. Um, which was allowed, it was allowed, I was allowed to do that, but, um, cause of what kind of job I was doing was just most, you know, there was a lot of downtime where you could just sit and watch whatever, which was good for me because I'm a writer and I used that time to write mostly, but I had to watch every season of like Gossip Girl. But anyway, <laughs> and whatever else I watched there. But anyway, so I was like, well, I watch it at work, but you know, I started watching it. I'm pretty sure I started watching it at work. And I got to, like, episode three, which in my opinion, still to this day, Holly Jolly is the name of the episode. And that episode three, from start to finish, everything about that specific episode, I think, makes that the best episode of the series. Totally. Um, it is just, it, it encompasses exactly what you want this show to be and what the show is. I feel like the first two episodes are good, especially now that I know them and I know what's going on. Um, when you first watch it, it kind of starts slow and you're like, I'm not sure if I like this yet. And I heard that opinion from a lot of people. Um, and I watched episode three at work. and um, Or one, two, and three while I was at work. Because I couldn't stop watching it. Like, once I got into it, like, when I actually watched it and was paying attention, because I was like, this won't be scary at work, because it'll be daylight, and I'll be at work, and there'll be a bunch of people around, you know, somewhere. So it's not scary, because I worked in the public, you know, in public. So I was like, okay, this is fun. Um, so I, I was able to, like, actually pay attention. And um, I got so into it. And my friend, like, I was in the middle of, like, I don't know, episode two, and she texts me, and she's like, I'm on my way to your house. Um, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about starting to watch this show that my coworker's been telling me to watch called Stranger Things, and I was like, you have to be kidding me. That is exactly what I just started watching today, and she was like, that is crazy, and I'm like, that is, it, it was kismet, you know what I mean? So I'm like, you know, because uh, she always come over to my house after she got off work and I would just, she would just be there before I got there and watch, you know, start, she would start watching something before I even got home. So like, <laughs> she, I was like, yeah, you should watch it. I said, definitely start watching it. Um, as soon as you get to my house, just start watching it or whatever. So I was like, I'm on episode two. I'm in the middle of it you know, whatever. So I get into like episode three, which is Holly Jolly, which we all know is the best episode. I mean, when Joyce starts putting up those Christmas lights and that happens in season in, in episode three, 
we all know how that feels. I mean, it's just the tension and the and the build up and the excitement is building, and you're just like, yes, yes, I need to keep watching this. I can't stop now. Like especially in episode three, you're like, I'm in it. You know, by episode three, you are in it. You're in it, and you can't get out. You know what I mean? And uh, I was like, this is it. And uh, that's also the episode where we start seeing more Eleven flashbacks. You know, she sees the cat. She has a flashback to the cat, you know, and she kills the, you know, we'll get to all that. But so that's really good. That's a really good episode. And so my friend texts me from my house and she's like, I watched the first episode. I'm starting on the second one. I'm not sure if I'm into this. And I was like, just keep watching. You will be into it by the time I get home. Trust me. You know, because it kind of is a slow starter. So I was like, trust me, keep watching it. You'll be into it by the time I get home. Trust me. And so it just so happened that I finished episode three at work. And that's, you know, at the end of episode three, that ends on a cliffhanger, you know, kind of. And then um, right after I got home, she had just she was in like the middle of episode three. So I was like, I, I perfect timing. I got home like a little bit before she started episode four. So I'm like, I'm ready for episode four right now. You know, let's do this. And, uh, so I was watching it though. And like I said, I was in this bad state of, emo you know, I was in a bad mental state, like totally terrible mental state and feeling like I'm never going to fit in. You know, and then when I watched, well, I started watching Stranger Things and Eleven as a character was just, you know, they called her a freak and a weirdo and a psycho and I've been called all those things. And like, even the people that were not bad guys were calling her this, you know, and, and so it's like, you know, and she was almost nonverbal and I felt like so much of my childhood was exactly like the way she reacted to people not what she had been through because obviously I wasn't kidnapped or taken to a lab or don't I'm not you know I didn't have my head shaved or have telekinesis or any of that but um the way she could not communicate with people and the way that people misjudged her based on what she couldn't even verbalize, like, when Mike yelled at her whenever he was like, you told us he was okay, you told us you were gonna find him, and he's like, what is wrong with you, huh? What is wrong with you? And he kept yelling at her, and she's like, starts crying, and she can't even, like, she doesn't even have the words to explain herself, you know? And I know that feeling, I've had that feeling so many times in my life that I just, you know, so it's like, when people put you on the spot, and they're like, why did you do this? And you're just like, silent because you know and and for me it wasn't that I didn't know words but it was you know a fight or flight response and um of just like freeze you know what I mean like I would freeze and my brain couldn't even form words in my thoughts because you know if somebody yelled at me I immediately froze up you know what I mean and words left my mind all of them so it's like or, or not even just yelling at me, but people being like, why don't you talk more? And you're immediately like, you know, all the words you've ever known go out of your head instantly. And you don't even, you're like, should I just make a sound like me, 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 or something like, why don't, you know, like, they're like, say a word, say a word, talk more, talk more. And you're like, 
you're not even giving me a script. <laughs> you know what I mean? And everybody, anybody that's listening to the, this podcast knows I can talk and I have a pretty large vocabulary. So it's like, that was never the problem. But I could relate to Eleven in the way that, like, she could not communicate her feelings because, and not only, you know, she kind of froze up too because she's like, I don't know how to explain this, you know, because the things she would have had to explain were weird anyway. But also she didn't have the words. And also she, you know, was not used to people. She didn't have the ability to socialize like everybody else. And, you know, that was me. And it's like, you know, all these other things that I just related to her so hard that I was like, and, and what, what it was is she was the best character in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion she was the best character on the show. She was basically the main character. She's the focus. She's the one, you know, with the telekinesis. She's the one that saves the day. She's the one, you know, she's special. You know what I mean? And what everybody was calling weird, like Lucas and Dustin calling her a weirdo and a psycho and a freak. And then Jonathan, you know, telling Will, like, don't ever, you know, don't ever pretend like you don't like something to make other people happy. You know, you like what you like. All of Jonathan's speeches are always so on point and great. And they worked so well for me at that time because him talking to Will, he's like, don't ever, you know, you like what you like and don't ever tell, let anybody tell you not to like what you like and all this other stuff. And it's like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jonathan. You're the best. Like he literally is. Um, so the whole thing with everybody in the show, and, you know, even though the young boy group kind of at first was calling Eleven a weirdo and a freak, they also were facing that kind of discrimination because they were nerds, you know, at school. They were getting bullied. So pretty much everybody in the show, even Steve to an extent, even though he was popular, you know, had to deal with people judging them for being different because Steve was popular and he was Nancy's boyfriend and he was supposed to be mad at her for cheating and he was supposed to get in a fight with Jonathan and he was supposed to you know be heartless and because he's cool you know but he wasn't that you know what I mean and he got sick of being that and he's like I don't want to be this jerk I need to, I want to be sensitive so even Steve like he was supposed to be this bully but you know he couldn't be because he that's not who he is he's kind-hearted so it's like everybody in the show pretty much enjoys you know being like maybe I am crazy but I will leave these lights up until the day I die and I'm like dang and Winona's performance of that is just great but all these people in the show standing up and fighting for their right to be themselves and to be different and not just that not just, and, and I heard the Duffer Brothers say this, and it was exactly how I felt about the show, and it's exactly what it did for me. They said they wanted the point of the show, the actual point of the show, they wanted to say with the show that not only is it okay to be different, but it's better to be different. And I feel like that's a real big theme with me of things I like, because that's what Rami Malek said about Elliot, too. You know, Mr. Robot. Um... But he's right, and they're right. Um, they they wanted not only to be like, it's okay to be different, which is a platitude, you know what I mean? And 
but with Stranger Things, seeing Eleven being the hero and having these powers and, you know, she's a freak, quote unquote, because of her powers, but her powers are what make her strong and her powers are what saves the day and, you know, they're what make her special. So if what you have or what you're doing makes you different, it also makes you, you know, special, you know what I mean? Instead of saying different, say special, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing. And so... I learned that from that, you know, that's what I needed at that time. Um, and it, it, it meant so much more to watch it play out instead of somebody just saying it, you know what I mean? When somebody just says that, like, oh, you're not different, you're special. Okay, cool. You know, like that, that, that's true, but it's so much harder to let it sink in, you know, when somebody just says it. But when you're watching it actually play out within characters, it really drives it home more and it really sinks in deep into your heart and you really feel like that's true. You know what I mean? Like you really get to see it play out and see how true it can be in certain situations. So it's like, <sighs> that's exactly the show I needed at that time. It literally saved me. Like it, it saved me. It saved my mental health. You know, it, it, I don't want to just give credit to the show, but like, I feel like God timed it perfectly for me to watch it at that time it's what I needed at that time more than you know it's exactly what I needed at that time you know and it, that's what fictional stories are about and as a writer I'm starting to get emotional as a writer as a writer myself I feel like it's a responsibility of people who create things to make things that do this and it's so important you know um like with Mr. Robot, but Stranger Things and Sherlock. I mean, there was an episode of Sherlock that really helped me too. Um, where he's talking to a character about, you know, you you telling her that she should stay alive, you know, and things. And, and the stuff he said was really profound. And it really helped me a lot in my depression. So, you know, and then went on to watch Stranger Things. And that helped me even more because it's like, I am 11. You know, I relate to her and I relate to her so hard. And she is the coolest and best character in the show, you know? And it's like, she saved the day. And, you know, I related to her so hard. And then I even ended up writing, like, a poem about her and myself, both. Like, it's about her, but it's also about me. And, you know, I still felt bad for her at the end of it, though. Because it was like, you know... They kind of, we'll get into that later, but either way, watching the show helped me a lot. And the Duffer Brothers don't even know how much they have helped me by making that. And, and when I heard them in an interview say that, you know, that their goal with the show was to help people who feel different feel like, you know, not only is it okay to be different, but it's better to be different. And I was like, that's exactly what it did for me. Because I was like, you know, this guy who was telling me, you know, you're not good enough for me because you're weird. It's like, no, I'm special and you're boring, you know, <laughs> and you don't deserve me, you know, like that's, you know, and it was like, excuse me, but no, you're not going to tear me down like this, you know, and, and make me feel like I have to mute myself. And that's how I've always felt with people who, you know, have to water myself down for people and watching Stranger Things really showed me that like, no, I don't. You know what I mean? If anything, 
put Rogaine on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really just not, you know, what makes you different makes you special. And that sounds like a cliche, but when you're at that place and when you experience it so often, you know, sometimes you really need a reminder of, you know, how how good it can be or how important it is to be different. And uh, I'm literally getting emotional. And that's how I feel about Eleven. I mean, especially Eleven. I relate to her the most. There's That applies to pretty much every character. Um, <clears throat> every good character, not the bad guys. But, you know, it just, it does. And there's a lot that we're going to talk about. I mean, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> Even episode by episode, they're shorter. You know, they're like 40-minute episodes, but um, they're going to be long because I have a lot to say. And maybe not, you know, because I gave the background on how I relate to Eleven, you know what I mean? But there's a lot to talk about with this show. And in the future, I'm thinking of ideas of adding, you know, not just covering the episodes, but um, doing a bonus episode that talks about some of the novels, because um, there's there's canonical novels um you know the prequel for terry Alves, the prequel for hopper the prequel for max you know i don't know if there's any more out yet but those three the terry Alves one is a must read um i don't know it's called suspicious minds and it's fantastic and it's it's very much about the plot of the show and it's kind of important i mean we even get to meet that was the chair we even get to meet Eleven's biological father in it, and it's like if you want to get to know Andrew Rich, this is a this is the time. And so you know, I I could do a bonus episode about the novels, or um, a bonus episode about the comic books, which are like you know we learn about some of the other numbers and and Will's time in the Upside Down and Dustin at at camp, meeting Susie, you know, and all this other stuff. Um, and then. I could do a bonus episode. Um, I have an idea for another type of bonus episode that I'm not going to even say what it is, but um, I just have an idea. And I don't know if I'll be able to pull that off at all, but, you know, I just have an idea for it. But I uh, might have some bonus episodes. I might do just one bonus episode talking about the comics and the books and, you know, whatever else. But <clears throat> we'll see what happens. But I'm definitely going to do normal episodes of each episode. And um, I just want to get this started and um, go through my background and my personal, you know, connection to the show and what it means to me personally. And um, then get into the actual, you know, thing. <laughs> and from what I remember, I don't think we see Eleven, like, straight off the bat. It's going to take, it takes, I can't remember exactly where she shows up. I know how she shows up. I remember exactly what the scene looks like when she first appears. We start with her feet. Which. And, and then. Yeah. I remember exactly what that scene is. But I don't remember where it is. <laughs> um, but. We're going to watch it. And I'm going to watch it. You can watch along if you want. But I definitely recommend it. Um. Right now, currently, I'm trying really hard not to watch The Wild Season 2 because <laughs> uh, it's out. It came out yesterday. Um, it's supposed to come out today, but it came out early yesterday evening. And I had planned to watch it today, 
and then I plan to watch it tomorrow because it's Saturday. I'm going to have a free day. I just want to be able to be like off work and, you know, doing nothing but watching that just to like have a chill day where it's just absorbing that whole show, you know. And um, if you haven't seen The Wilds, it's really good. I might cover it someday. But um, I thought, you know, I'll get started on my Stranger Things podcast then because I'm trying really hard not to watch The Wilds season two today. Because I just want to do it tomorrow. <laughs> and so trying to do um, something to to keep from doing that in Stranger Things. I like Stranger Things better than the Wilds. But, you know, there's no new episodes. <laughs> so And there is new episodes of the Wilds. And so it's hard to... I'm like, no, I can't do it. Um, but anyway. Let's get in. And the music... To Stranger Things. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm just, there's so many things, guys. This show is so good. I'm actually drinking out of a Stranger... I wish you could see it. I'm drinking out of a Stranger Things coffee mug right now. Um, <coughs> I just am. And it's not on purpose. I literally just drink out of this cup every day. Because it's kind of a big cup and I like a lot of coffee. But anyway. Um... Yeah, let's get into episode one. We're going to talk about music, the sounds, the sound of the Demogorgon. Oh my gosh, yes, I'm so excited. Get excited, you guys. This is happy times. The show is amazing. All right, let's go. We start off just beautifully with the a scene of, of crickets chirping and... You know, November 6th, 1983, Hawkins, Indiana, and we see the stars, and then it just goes right into it. Just goes right into it. I mean, this is... We pan down to a lot, to the building, you know, and then just Hawkins, Hawkins National Laboratory, U.S. Department of Energy. And then just... And I want to say that, um, I said this in the ET one, but we, we are dropped immediately into the action. The way this is started is exactly what you want to do sometimes because you just start right in the middle. I mean, you're just dropped right in the middle of what the problem is. Um, we're not building up to it. And, you know, they did this with Jurassic Park and ET. I, I don't know if I said that in ET that they also did this in Jurassic Park where it shows, a short period of time where it's like showing the problem. You know what I mean? It shows something bad happening, you know, like E.T. gets left behind or the raptors kill a guy in Jurassic Park or, you know, like with this, they start off with, and Chernobyl did the same thing, which kind of, well, no, they, they started with Valerie doing his tapes, whatever. Forget I said that. Um, <laughs> but we have a short, you know, scene, an act here of, just, you know, it's all calm, and I love this. It's all calm, and we go calmly into this, and then, bam, the door opens. <laughs> like, sorry if I scared anybody, but that's what it feels like. Bam, the door opens, and the the, the alarm immediately starts. And what's great is, like, um, I was in the other room one time, and my dad, I guess, had started watching this. He had watched it before, but he likes to watch things over and over. And um, I'm more of, like, you have to really settle in for this. He'll just watch it casually. I'm like, you cannot watch Stranger Things casually. But anyway, I was in the other room and I hear this alarm. And I'm like, that's Stranger Things. <laughs> that's the very first, you know, scene of Stranger Things. I knew immediately as soon as I heard that alarm. It's, you know, I just knew the sound. Um, this is just immediately, it scares you. It brings your attention. You cannot look away because you're like, what is going on? And it's kind of like, um, there was an analysis of the 
pilot of Lost, where they they do the the opening of Lost so well because they keep giving you more answers as they're giving you more questions. Like you have a bunch of questions and they keep answering the questions and then dropping more questions. You know what I mean? This is exactly what you want to do is, you know, you have answers and questions both flying at you as the viewer and it's, it keeps your interest so well when that happens. And you, you know, you don't always have to drop people in the middle of the action at the first, you know, but it is a good way to, to make a story. So anyway, I really admire this. <laughs> this is just very great. You want to hear it? You want to hear the bam? I probably just scared a bunch of people earlier with it, but you don't know when it's coming. You just quietly. Yeah. Oh, see all these questions and answers are happening. This guy busts through this door and like starts running down the hallway and he's sweaty and the lights are flashing and there's an alarm. But, like, he goes to the elevator, and he's, like, tapping on the elevator button, and he keeps turning around. So we we know. You know what I mean? There's so many answers and questions here. I love that concept. I love that somebody brought that up with Lost, because it's like, this is exactly what's happening. Because you're getting answers, but then you're getting more questions. It's like, well, he's running. Why? And then it's like, oh, he's turning around. He's running from something. He keeps looking back. You know? So it's like... Why is he alone? You know what I mean? Where are all the rest of the people? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's there's so many questions here. And we don't get all the answers, but... Not in this scene. But... It's very beautifully done. Just chef's kiss. I don't want to gush too much or go into every detail, but this is just... The opening is just fabulous. The first ten minutes of this... That basically what would be the pilot if it were, you know, on network TV... <laughs> the first 10 minutes are just everything you want the first 10 minutes of a pilot to be, you know what I mean? Because you, you just do it, they just do it right, you know? I want y'all to hear this. Um, So he gets in the elevator finally, and then he's waiting for the doors to close. He's watching the end of the hall, like, please don't come, please don't come. Whatever it is he's running from, we know that he, like, we're already on board here. We're already like, oh, I hope he gets away. It's not going to happen, but I want y'all to hear this sound because it's very raptor-like. It, it reminds me of Velociraptors a lot, but it's it's different. And they picked the perfect sound for this creature. Like, to, they could not have picked a better sound for what this makes you feel. It's so right. It's not coming yet. It's not coming down the hallway yet. And that is perfect. That's perfect. The sound of that creature is so... They played upon all of our um, conditioned emotional responses to the raptor sound from Jurassic Park. Because I think we all have that now. Um, anybody that <laughs> lived through the 90s has that feeling, you know, for the sound. But there's something about that specific sound, even when it happened with the raptors, where it's not, it's not a growl. You know, like a lion. It's not, you know, even a dinosaur-type roaring. It's it's this otherworldly, you know, thing that psychologically, for some reason, this sound specifically is just, like, so unnerving. You know what I mean? And it's not exactly the raptor sound, but it's close. And it's got this low, 
you know, trill. And for some reason, I would love to get into, like, somebody who's who knows about, like, psychological responses to sound to analyze this. Because um, it's similar enough to the raptor sound. And also the smoke monster from Lost. Um, there's certain sounds that the smoke monster makes that just give you a sense of, like, this is just not normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not... You know, when you hear a roar, animal. When you hear a growl, animal. Animals can be scary, but... And there's... I think there's something about this that's kind of crocodile-like as well. But it's... It, you know, the sound of this. They... I don't... I don't know who designed the sound of what the Demogorgon would sound like. Spoiler alert. That's called the Demogorgon. Um, but it's a creature. And um, it's obviously above him and not coming down the hallway. And, you know, he gets attacked, and he's dead. We don't know him. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, it's not fun, but it's, it's fun. Um, but it's like, uh-oh, you know, he's gone. But the sound is really what I'm focused on, because it's like, who designed this sound for this creature? Because it is the most frightening, disturbing sound they could have went with. Um, I like that a lot. They really captured what sounds to use for everything in this. I mean... The score, the music, the sound of the creature, everything. The sound of the alarm, perfect. Like, I mean, I literally, you know, it's all perfect. <laughs> Let's just say that. Like, everything about this is perfect. And I really just have always thought, like, that sound that they chose for the Demogorgon is, like, such a great thing. And I would love for somebody who knows about, like, aud auditory you know, psychological analysis things to explain why this specific sound is so disturbing to humanity. <laughs> because I think even even though it does sound like the raptors in, in enough of a way that you could say that, like, because it sounds a little like the raptors, we're already scared of that sound. But it's like, but when the raptors first came and made those sounds, we were already scared of that sound when they made it. So it's like, what about that sound is so terrifying? You know, because it really is. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not natural. It's a, such an unnatural sound. But anyway, um, I'm gushing too much. I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm doing too much. Anyway, well, I mean, this is what this is for. And apparently people like long episodes, so, you know, whatever. But um, that's the scene one and it's over. And we immediately cut to like a sprinkler system and a house. Just a regular old house, suburban house. And it's like, E.T. vibes for sure. And uh, it's great. It's great. And they, you know, instead of going a little bit more, you know, like E.T. when they, they cut immediately to kids playing D&D &D at the suburban house like they did on E.T., you know, that was a little bit of a different beginning because E.T. was actually the victim of the situation. But, you know, whatever. Um, this is a little more scary than that. But, um well, we didn't know that E.T. wasn't bad when we first watched it, did we? Well, I did, but apparently there was other kids that didn't. But, um, <laughs> this is similar. They cut immediately to this house, and then we hear kids playing D&D, &D, but a little bit different because, like I said, back in the 80s, they would just have kids talking over each other. Now it's more of a line-by-line -line thing, and they kind of separate lines better, which is better for storytelling, but it doesn't feel as realistic. But anyway... Um, back in E.T.'s world, <laughs> when they were playing D&D, &D, they were just saying, like, 
oh, let's play this. Oh, call the radio station. Oh, order a pizza. You know, they were just saying all these random things. Here, they're doing, they're being more precise with what they're saying because we start hearing Mike describing, you know, being the dungeon master, saying the things, but it's like supposed to be scary. Like he's, he's, they're, they're, um, almost dragging out the horror that we just saw by him saying the things, you know, um, and with Stranger Things, with every time you see them play D&D, everything they say is going to come to pass in the show or has came to pass already like this. It's kind of, you know, he's kind of describing what we already just saw um, um, unbeknownst to him. But in every season, every time you see the kids play D&D, the things that they describe happening in the game is a clue about what's going to happen in the show. Um, if you watch that, I mean, if you notice that, that's what happens. Um it's very obvious. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious. But, you know, this is less um, childish than the E.T. kids playing D&D. These are more, these lines are more serious and, and um, deliberate. You know, these are the first actual lines in this show of all time. And it's Finn Wolfhard. And I just want to give props to Finn Wolfhard for this because, especially because he's a child and he's like, something's coming. Something hungry for blood. And it's so, yeah, he, props, props to all these kids. Like, seriously. But Finn Wolfhard, first line that we hear, you know, because um, there were no lines in the last scene. So, um, you know, of course, they're all sitting around playing D&D and all the kids are like saying things like, what is it? It's the Demogorgon. Oh my gosh, we're so screwed. Blah, blah, blah. Typical kid playing games in the basement and it's a safe space like we went from that total nightmare horror to this which is kind of creepy because he's saying these things but we hear that first and then we see that it's just them playing a game so we kind of relax so they built you up and then now you can relax a little bit or so we think <laughs> for a minute <laughs> every one of these children are cute as heck like i would adopt all four of these kids <laughs> they are adorable and i love them Okay, anyway. I love that the Duffer Brothers allowed these children to cuss. Like, it just feels so very 80s. I mean, this is the 80s, and they need and they shot it, and, and you know, the lines and things are like the 80s. I mean, like I said, it's a little more uh, clean and deliberate with the line pacing and things, but um, instead of having, you know, talking over each other and all that. But at the same time... You know, I like that they, because back in the 80s, you know, you let kids cuss in movies. You know what I'm saying? So they were saying like, oh shit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to say everything they said, but, but I like that. Mike is wearing this exact outfit, which is a blue sweater and gray sweatpants. Um, I just want to point this out now and later. These, This exact outfit will come back. Um they're playing this game and it's all chaos and blah 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 and they're like fireball him and no cast protection blah 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 Will does a fireball they lose the dice and just you know he's arguing with his mom she wants them to leave it's too late in the night and he's like we're in the middle of a campaign blah 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 and she's like I don't know it was gonna go for 10 hours she's like you've been playing for 10 hours <laughs> like it's funny um it's a school night Michael and so this is all very typical um it's fun though it feels very 80s that's what what bothers me about people that judge this show a, a little harshly is they're like, oh, that show's about 80s nostalgia. They lean more into it in season three and maybe a little in two. 
season one does not feel like a typical, like, we're trying to be two 80s and we got all this 80s nostalgia. Season one just actually feels like a, a show or movie that was made in the 80s. It doesn't feel like they're being overly, you know, kitschy about it or cute or cheesy. Like, it doesn't feel like 80s nostalgia. It feels like the actual 80s all of season one so it's like i wish they would have kept with this and i kind of wish they kept the smaller budget but we'll get into that later so yeah i feel like it's just really um like that so you know <laughs> people interrupting my podcast and throwing me off track and we're only three minutes into the first episode <laughs> Girls, it's going to be a long one. I don't know if my target audience, if, if my, what is my demographic here? It's mostly women, I think, which is good. Doing this for the girls. Um, but anyway, let's keep going. Rabbit ears on the TV, trying to fix those to get a signal. I remember those days. <laughs> Anybody that was like grew up in the 80s or 90s, this, this is before I was born, but, um, you know, like I said, I live in the backwoods, so uh, this is nineties for me. <laughs> they have like a poster of the thing, but everything's very muted. Like all the nostalgia parts are like background muted, not in your face as of this episode. I feel like this would mean more to me if I knew things about Dungeons Dragons more. But I can't remember exactly. He had to roll an 8 or a 13. But he rolled a 7. And so he asked Lucas, like, does the 7 count? And he was like, did Mike see it? And he's like, no. And he's like, then it doesn't count. So it's like, they're kind of cheating. I mean, it's not cheating exactly. But it's like, you know, does it count or not? They don't know. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but he's deciding that it doesn't count based on the fact that it's not what he wanted, you know? So it's like, um, anyway, uh, Dustin gets the pizza. There's like one piece left and he takes it to Nancy and offers it to her. Cause he's like, got a crush on Nancy. And she's like, whatever. I don't think so. And shuts the door in his face. And he's just like, your sister is rude. <laughs> Mike's like, yeah, she always has been. He's like, she used to be cool. She, Dressed up as an elf for our one campaign. Like, I'm just picturing it. You know what I mean? It's like, she really did that? Which I love Nancy, so, you know. But at first, we think she's just like, whatever, don't talk to me. We think she's like that, but, you know. things. The first impressions in this are not always correct. I mean, some people it is, but they they really introduce you to, like, characters in different ways from each other. Like, Nancy, we get one impression of her, and she is like that right now, you know what I mean? But things change her, you know what I mean? Like, or she comes, she becomes more herself. She strips off these layers of, like, I gotta be popular, and I gotta date Steve, you know? Like, she, but she's not bad, you know what I mean? Anyway, that is something, that line right there is just so ominous, because even if you haven't seen this before and don't know, you just feel it, like, Oh, crap, no. <laughs> like, you just know. This line specifically is just... You just know. Like, even the first time you watch it and you have no idea. It, it's still, you know, you know. Because um, <laughs> they're all leaving. And, you know, Mike's like, she's always been a jerk, blah, blah, blah. And, uh... 
they pull away and Will is there and he he's like, it was a seven. And Mike's like, huh? What are you talking about? He's like, the roll, it was a seven. I rolled a seven. And then uh, Mike just kind of looks at him confused and Will just goes, the Demogorgon. It got me. And it's like, oh man, <laughs> you just know. Like, even the first time I watched it, I was like, oh man, that, that right there is not good news. Like, you just know. And of course, the title of the episode is The Vanishing of Will Byers, but oh my gosh. <laughs> and also, can we talk about, like, um, the memes that the show has produced? Oh my gosh, it's so great. But there was this guy, what is his name? I can't remember it right now. Dang it, I'll have to look it up later. His name's Corey something. He does funny videos on Facebook, and he's like, um, when he first started watching Stranger Things, he does, he did a video about watching Stranger Things, and he's like, somebody calling him, and he's like, come over, and he's like, I can't, I gotta find the boy, and he's like, what boy, and he's like, the boy on the walls, <laughs> and it's like, you know, and it's like, this, it's so accurate, but anyway, um, yeah, I love, I love joking about the show, I love memes about the show, it's like that one, it's like, all these children are precious, and then one of the children kills two men in one second. It's like, especially that one. And it's like, it's so funny because it is actually true. Like, especially that one is precious. Like, it's so great. <laughs> this show spawns so many good memes. Like, that alone makes it worthy of, like, all the high praise it gets. Um, it's not less, you know, the show standing alone without all the extra stuff is good. Obviously, the first season is absolutely perfect. I can't, I would not change a thing. Um, if I see anything that I would change, I'm going to say that, but <laughs> I don't think there is anything. But it's just the story arc and everything just goes along so perfectly. Um, they wrap it up so perfectly. You know, just a bunch of stuff that's just compliments, compliments, compliments. <laughs> but um, even the house, you know what I mean? Like, Mike's house just looks so classic. Like, you have seen houses that look exactly like this. There are houses, like, where I live that look exactly like this. It's so typical, and I don't know. It's great. Anyway, <clears throat> um, but, yeah, this line right here, that's the ominous, that's the most ominous freaking line. Like, everything seems so cheerful. Like, they're friends. They're fun. They're having, you know, whatever. It's typical kid stuff. But he just says, the Demogorgon. It got me. And you just know. You just know. You're like, dang it. The cutest one. Like, the, the smallest boy. <laughs> like, come on. Dustin's cute as heck, too. Like, he's just got this cute smile. But, like, they're all cute kids. But, like, and usually I don't even like kids. I find them annoying. These kids are not annoying to me at all. None of them. They're all great. But, and they're so relatable. And the actors are so incredible. But uh, Will, especially, just looks so innocent and sweet. You know what I mean? And he's got this, he is the softest one. Like, he's he's the sweetest one. You know what I mean? Like, he's the kind one. He's the one that, you know, is kind. And you can just feel it in this whole dynamic. And he's he's the one that's like, oh, does it count? I don't want to be going against the rules. You know? Like, he's so, you know, you already are like, this is the precious one. This is the one we want to protect the most because he's the smallest. He's the most, you know, like that. And um, he's like the most innocent, sort of. And so it, they picked the right person to do this with. I mean, they, the character, the way that Noah plays him, it's all perfect. Um, but he's, he's the one that you feel the most sorry, like protect him at all costs. You know what I mean? He's the precious one. He's, he's the sad, he's like, I don't know. He's a tiny one. You know what I mean? And he's the one that's like, 
his personality too is also tiny where he's like I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to break the rules. I don't want to, you know, he's, he's the nicest. You know what I mean? He's like the, he's the kindest. And so it's like really hard, you know, cause it's like, not that one, please. Not that one. You know, the first time I watched it, I was literally thinking that before I even knew what was going to happen to him. As soon as he said that line, I was like, not that one. Come on, not that one. Because it's like, he's the small one. He's the nice one. It's the saddest one it could have been, you know? Like Dustin, he would have, you know, if he would have got caught, he would have been, you know, swinging a ball bat and yelling like, ah, don't touch me, you know, and, you know, Luke, you feel like the other ones would have fought back a little more, and, you know, it just, you don't feel as protective of them because they seem more like fighters, you know, not Mike so much as Lucas and Dustin, I feel like they're more you know, yeah, you know, yelling and, like, fighting with things. <laughs> well, because they've done that. I know that now. But it's just, you know, Will is the most soft one. You know what I mean? He's the most soft-spoken and all that. So, yeah, it's it's the saddest it could have been. And uh, But anyway, let's get it. He's just now taking off. Finn looks so much different. Like, they all look different, but I think Finn looks the most different now. The lights flicker on the garage, and it's like, what's that about? And they race and all that. I don't think I need to go into that. But freaking Will is alone on this road. And he passes the lab. Hawkins lab. You know. Fence. Because that's on his way to his house. And he's just so little. Gosh Noah was tiny. It just seems so weird. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> he sees a figure in the road. And he wrecks his bike. And then the figure is like standing there. It's really... We don't see it again, but he looks up and sees something and takes off running, so I think he saw it again. And he just runs all the way home through this back way towards his house. And he's got a dog, and he's locking the door. You know, we know all the events. We don't need to go into it. But I, one thing I do like about this is it's a dark show, as in, like, lighting. But they light things that need to be lit. You know what I mean? And on some TVs, it's hard to see some of the things because it's like... You're not playing really close attention. There's just like one second where you see the figure. You know what I mean? That causes him to wreck. So you have to actually be watching it. I feel like a lot of people just like watch shows and look at their phones. <laughs> it's like you can't do that. <laughs> it kind of draws me crazy when people do that. Because it's like you're missing everything. Because um, you know you don't know. You know there's nothing. There's no dialogue. There's no nothing. You have to be watching it. Because there's just like a split second where you see this figure in the road and it's like backlit and so it's kind of just like a shadow and it causes him to wreck and he takes off running and it's like if you don't if you blink you miss that you know what I mean if you look at your phone you miss that um <clears throat> and uh he runs all the way home he goes this back way that we see later again um to his house and we see all this information about him in in a split second it's not called out it's not you know, focused on, but he lives farther out than everybody else. He lives in a small house. Like, Mike's house was a two-story big brick house, nice house, you know, typical suburban house. And then Will lives out here, where it's, like, a one-story small house where it's, like, it's not very nice. You know what I mean? It's kind of more, you know, not as nice. You know what I mean? So we know that he's kind of different. Like, his family's kind of different. He's you know, Lucas and Dustin, they went off different directions in the suburb, but Will had to drive out kind of into the woods to get to his house, so he's kind of out 
farther and the house is not as nice and you know I think that says a lot and you don't really think about it when you're watching it but it it does get into your psyche and you already know a lot more about this kid because you know and he's like Jonathan and mom he doesn't call for dad so we're also getting the information that's like who's Jonathan and his mom you know we don't hear him call for his dad you know so it's like you know you just start assuming that like Jonathan is his brother or something you know who's Jonathan and his mom so there's just so much information we're finding out they're doing such a good job of dropping information in like the first 10 minutes you know we're getting all this you know information we see Mike's parents we see Nancy we see you know Will's house and his you know and we don't see any of Lucas or Dustin's family until season two because people complained and I'm like we don't need to complain about that I don't need to see Lucas's parents I just I don't feel like if they're not part of the story and they're never at his house we don't really need to see them unless there's a reason to see them and I just feel like people complain about things like that and and you should just ignore them if you're a writer you're making a show ignore those people please because it's like what do they add to it if they're not adding to it there's no reason for them to be there I, I don't I don't understand people complaining about things like that it just draws me insane because it's like we don't need that <laughs> we don't need that they're not part of the show they don't need to be seen at all you know we can just assume they're off screen somewhere doing whatever I don't need to know these people you know which with Dustin we kind of included his mom because of Dart you know and all that interaction with Dart but it's like unless you're incorporating them into the story and there's a reason for us to see them, I don't need to see them. I don't, I don't need you to add things to the story to make us see them. I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like we don't need people used to complain about pretty little liars. It's like, where are these girls' parents? They're off screen somewhere. We don't always need to see them unless they're part of the story. When they're off screen, I don't really care. I don't need to see everything. It's like, do these girls not have parents? It's like, can you just, like, understand that, that that there's no reason to just bring them in just to show you that they're there if they're not part of the scene? Like, I don't understand how people don't understand that. Anyway, um, no one's here. Uh, Will runs in. He's scared. This thing is... Obviously, he thinks it's chasing him. He's, he, he, like, runs, locks the doors, and uh, he's yelling for Jonathan and his mom, and course we know Jonathan if most people have seen this um but you know nobody's here so yeah it's scary as heck it's scary as heck it's daylight right now and I'm <laughs> I'm still kind of like this is creepy and there are some shots the show does a good job of lighting the dark shots too though um there are some shots where if you have a darker tv or you're like too far away um this tv I have right now is lit really good um, which is important because a lot of things are too dark now, but this is doing a pretty good job of lighting things, even when it's dark, you know, when it's supposed to be dark, they still have a light where it needs to be, where you can see what's actually happening, which is super important, and I wish people would, like, know that more. I know Benji or, uh, James Taylor from the Bros Watch PLO2 podcast has complained about this, too, and I'm like, it's not just me. It's not that my vision's getting worse. It's that movies are actually doing this, aren't they? They're, like, making things darker, but it's like, all I see is darkness. Like, I need to see what's going on. <laughs> we need to be lit well, 
and you know I'm noticing that this is dark but it's lit well enough that you can actually see what's going on so that's good but <clears throat> for the first couple of times I watched this I did not see the Demogorgon outside his like when he looks out the back door I didn't see it like back there but then this like the last time I watched it I was like oh there it is <laughs> like I was on a I had a better screen I had a better tv but on some TVs, you can't see it. So it's like, can we work on this? <laughs> like, it's just, that's the only part. Like, usually, even their dark scenes are w well lit enough to see what's going on, which is good. But, um, that's the only one that I had trouble with. You can't see it. Like, you can't see what it really looks like. You can only see, like, a figure. And the way it's shaped is so well shaped for, like, something scary and it's walking slow. Um... It's dark, it's foggy, but there's a light on it. And it's not that it's so dark, but it's just so hard to see if you're not like... You know what I mean? It's hard to see it. Um, but that was the only thing I ever missed in this, where I was like... Oh, you know, I thought he just looked out the window and like saw it himself and then took off, but I didn't see it. But when I looked, like the next time I was like, oh yeah, you can see it. Um, and like the shape of it, you know, but it's really foggy and, but they have things well lit, which I like, and they have reasons for it. I like how they have this like dust to dawn light outside of the buyer's house, um, to explain how there could be light out there. Cause there needs to be a lot of the time. So it's like, I like, they thought of everything. They literally thought of everything. I love it. So it goes and gets the phone and it's like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> oh my gosh. The scene and Noah. Like, him being the sole actor in these, like, parts, aside from the Demogorgon, in these scenes where he's alone, he is fantastic. And, um, he brings, he's shaking, you know, he's trying to talk on the phone. He hears this growling. He looks out the door. There's, like, a window in the door that's, like, you know, you can't really see through it that well. He sees a shadow. And then he sees the, um, the lock that he had locked, like, the chain lock, it moves by itself unlocks so like it's an intelligent thing we're getting more information it's intelligent and it also has some sort of telekinesis it can move things with its you know from a different area you know it has control over other things that it can't touch so that's telekinesis um <clears throat> and then he runs out the back door and he goes out to the shed and he starts he gets a gun and starts loading the gun with bullets and i'm like you know we see that he's kind of smart you know he he's smart enough to do that which is good, I mean, for the situation he's in. I'm not pro-gun or anything, but for this situation, I am definitely would be doing the same thing. Um, so, and it's good that he knows how to do this. Um, so at least somebody taught him how to do this. And But what's good about Noah here is, like, his hands are literally trembling as he's trying to, like, load the gun with the bullets. He's, like, actually trembling, and it's like, oh my gosh, he is... Noah... Props so hard. I love it. <laughs> love it. I'm kind of worried about the dog right now because it's in the house alone with the Demogorgon. But, like, for some reason, the Demogorgon ignores the dog. And Noah, I'm just so impressed with his acting. Oh, my gosh, he's so good. And um, we know it's a creature. We hear it growling, and it makes this, like, <sighs> trilly, trilly noise. I call it a trill. Um, and then you know what I'm talking about they do so good with the scene because it's like, oh my gosh, it's so tense. And then we see what happens after he loads the gun. He's he's 
standing there holding it and he's like shivering and like making this noise like <laughs> like he's so scared and it's like oh my gosh this is so intense and right away you're like what the heck because he he's doing that and holding the gun towards the door because he's expecting someone to bust down on him but then he hears this like small growling this really low sounds <clears throat> kind of trilling but not not real loud and he turns around and he looks up at this thing we still haven't seen it which is perfect thank you show for doing this because you know you don't want to give it away immediately because then it's done you busted your moment it's too late like you you shot your shot and it's too it's gone we don't want to see it yet <laughs> that's perfect um <clears throat> we've seen the outline of it and it looks scary as heck but it's great that they didn't show us it actually because that takes away a lot of the fear and, and anticipation and you know suspense um so he turns around and sees it and he looks terrified and again noah is perfect acting great <laughs> his acting is just so incredible and then we zoom in on the light bulb and the light bulb gets super bright and then goes black and then it comes back on slowly to normal and then we see the shed like a wide angle of the shed the inside of the shed and it's it's empty so it's like what the actual heck just happened like we don't get any resolve conclusion we don't see him get attacked nothing he's just gone it's gone there's nothing there will's not there it's empty immediately and it's like what does this mean <laughs> like there's so many and it's like you can't watch up to this point and not be like what the heck i have to keep watching because this is what the heck you know because we saw the thing attack the guy in the elevator, but that's not what happened to Will. It just, it, everything's gone. And it's like, there's so many unanswered questions already. So it's like, well, we have to keep watching because what the heck, you know, perfect, perfectly done. This opening is just chef's kiss of an opening. Because this is the opening. After the scene, it's like, then we get into the show. It's kind of like, this is the opening, you know, first eight minutes that just, you know, kind of does it all and, and opens up the show to to the whole thing so it's like this is actually perfect <laughs> nothing i i can't think of anything they could have done that would be better than this um so yeah and now it's time for the theme song <laughs> i love this music this is perfect even the theme song and the title card perfect i mean absolutely the way it looks the way it sounds this this is exactly great <laughs> you know what I mean like at props even for this this could not be better either the font is perfect <laughs> they did the Stephen King font which I like but it, it works it works on an emotional baser level of your psyche all this the sound listen to that The heartbeat sound. It's perfect. The heart the the score just how could I even express how wonderful this is? Like I literally feel like I'm just gushing, but man, it it deserves it. And <clears throat> you know, it's chapter one, the vanishing world bars. This looks so much like an actual chapter of a book. Like the font of this, I love it. I love it all, man. I love how it comes on. I love how short the title is, like the title card when it comes up. We don't need a bunch of 
you know, a whole theme song that lasts forever. You know what I mean? It's short enough. It's long enough and short enough. It's perfect length. I love it. And here, here we're actually getting into the show, you know. And then we see just a trailer. And we see this, uh, well, we open up to, like, a shot on a kid's drawing. Which is, like, they're giving you all kinds of questions and answers all at once here, too. And we see all this huge mess. I mean, and then we pan around. The news is on. We hear them talking. It's nonsense. I mean, it doesn't actually matter that much. Um, I think they probably said stuff that pertains to the show. But I wasn't paying attention because I was thinking about how messy this trailer is. This trailer costs a dollar. The show bought this trailer for one dollar. Because they're going to destroy it later. Um, But then, you know, the first time I watched this, this obviously is Hopper. The first time I watched this, I didn't think I was going to like Hopper. Like, when we first were introduced to him, I was like, I don't like this guy. (laughs) But, you know, um, of course, obviously, I changed my mind. Um, But it's a mess. And he's literally sleeping on the couch with, like, a towel is his blanket. Like, it's just, it's not even covering, like, half of his body. It's just a towel. And it's like, this is a mess. And there's an open bottle of pills. There's beer cans, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole deal. The whole thing. Um, We think this is, like, the loser of the town. You know what I mean? The town drunk. I mean, he kind of is, but, you know, (laughs) there's a surprise in that, too. (laughs) Um, He's just... And it's not for no reason, you know what I mean? It's not like he just sucks. But at first, we don't know any of that. We're just like, who is this kid's drawing? What the heck? There's surely a kid don't live in this squalor, you know what I mean? Like, hopefully not. You know, all this stuff, so, yeah. But I'm going to go back and listen to the news report and see if that's important. Because <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to what she was saying. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Um, the news is talking about surges and power outages, and it's like, well, that has a lot to do with everything because, you know, the blinking of Mike's lights and um, the bright light that went out suddenly and then Will was gone. So we know that's connected. Um, power outages. That's it planted in your mind, you know, so that's important for later. This house is a mess, but it looks so typical of an 80s trailer. Like that fireplace, it just... I'm like, this is all so realistic. And it, I mean, it is a real trailer, but it's just, you know... They made everything look so real, man. Um, but anyway. So he's smoking on the back porch, showering, getting ready, taking this medicine with beer. You know, taking a pill with beer. So it's like, this dude is the town drunk. And then we see him put on a uniform and a gun holster. And then, Hawkins chief of police. <laughs> and we're like, that, I love that. I love that contrast where it's like, he is sleeping till like noon, assuming, you know, we can tell he slept late just from the way he's waking up. And he's just slowly getting ready. He's just, you know, not in a hurry. He's just, you know, but he obviously is just a mess of a human being. Like, he's a mess of a human being. And, uh, <laughs> and then we see that he's the sheriff, <laughs> the chief of police. So it's like, okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's typical. But, you know, mostly I'm all about, you know, not liking that kind of uh, person, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to turn people way off, but, like, usually I wouldn't like the people in authority, but, <clears throat> you know, I'm pretty cool with this one. He's not exactly the best cop, but he is a good guy, so <laughs> it's Hopper, you know? But anyway, 
I like that contrast where they just shockingly show you like, oh, this town drunk is the chief of police. <laughs> I wonder things are so messed up around here. Anyway, I love this. So we get back to Will's house. We see the outside of it and we know that's his house. And it's like, she's like, where are they? And I'm like, oh, she's talking about Will or, and who else? But then no, she's looking for keys and she's just acting normal. And Jonathan's making breakfast and... She says his name, so we're like, oh, that's Jonathan, that's his mom, blah, blah, blah. Where's Will? Why do they not care? <laughs> you know, they're just acting normal. And then she kisses him, and she says she's leaving, and she's like, she turns around to the table, and I love this hand thing she does where she kind of, like, grabs the empty air. I don't know why she did that, but Winona forever, I'm going to get that tattooed on me. <laughs> I would have left that tattoo on me just for the fact that she deserves it. I almost want to get that tattoo. But anyway, <laughs> she grips the air in this way. And I'm like, I love that. I don't know why, but I just like that. And she's like, where's Will? And she like kind of grabs the air where he should be. And Jonathan's like, I haven't got him up yet. And she's like, you have to get him up, blah, blah, blah. It's a very typical mother-son. He's like, I'm making breakfast. I don't have time, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everything's chaos here because they're not rich. They don't have very much money. You know, she's got to work. Jonathan's trying to help be a parent pretty much. I mean, all this stuff. So she's like, where is he? And so it's like, now here we go. She doesn't even know. Nobody even knows that he's not here. So since they're acting normal also, before she asks where Will is, it's kind of like, oh, maybe he just showed back up and he's just going to act weird or something. Like, we have no idea if he came back or anything. So it's like, you know, for all we know, he came back and that's why they're acting normal. But no, she's like, Where's Will, you know, because your mind's asking you all these questions like, is he back now? Did he come back? And, you know, maybe he's like part, a pod person now or something. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even know. But no, he's gone. And uh, she's looking, you know, she, he's not at breakfast. So she's going to go looking and we're kind of hoping. I mean, there's still a part of us that is probably hoping like he's going to be in bed, even though. You know, if he were, that would open up a whole new can of worms and questions. Like, is he a pod person? Is he, you know, what happened to him in this place that he went or whatever? But we're still kind of hoping that he's back or that he's in bed or something. And it was all just like an unexplained thing. But <sighs> that's not the case. <laughs> so they're still kind of calm. You know, she's like, did he come home last night? Dawson's like, I don't know. I was working. And so they kind of argue and... He's like, he was at the Wheelers, just called him. I'm sure he just stayed over. And so she calls, and uh, so they're kind of like, just still staying calm. Like, surely there's an explanation for this, you know, that kind of thing. Because this is how this really happens. I mean, it's not immediately like, oh no, the worst thing ever happened. He got taken to another dimension, you know. You're not going to assume that. Um, <laughs> so they just assume prob the most probable thing is he probably stayed over at Mike's, you know, because he was there. So she calls Karen Wheeler and she's like, is that Will I heard back there? And she's like, no, like he went home last night and blah, 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 you know. And so Karen's like, no, he didn't stay over. And Joyce is like, okay, now we might have a problem, you know. So she's like, he probably just left early for school. And then we see the boys go to school and Mike's like, he's not here. And uh, they're like, he probably just left early. He's probably already in class, you know. So it's like everybody's still kind of like trying to explain this away because they don't want it to be true and it's, you know <clears throat> you might think oh she should be worried by now and she is worried but it's like you you try to tell yourself these explanations that are not scary because you don't want that 
to be a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you're still kind of in denial. And I think Mike is a little bit more worried than the rest because he's just like that. You know what I mean? Um, and then we see these bullies come up and they're they're stupid. <laughs> they're bullies and they're mean. And uh, they, you know, say it's a freak show and Dustin does his arm thing because he's got, um, I'll, I'll pronounce it here in a second, cridalcronia cl- dysplasia. And it's an actual thing that, you know, Gaten Maserato, I can't pronounce his last name, Gaten, uh, the actor, actually has that, um, where his teeth have not came in, and they're making fun of all these kids they call, they call Lucas Midnight, which is like, you're racist too, like, you can't just be regular bullies, like, you gotta be, like, this is the 80s, I know, but it's like, gosh, this is not okay, you know what I mean, like, this is, like, not only are you just bullies, but you're, like, making fun of somebody's medical disorder. You're being racist. They call Mike Frogface for some reason. I don't even... There's... I don't even know what that means, but... <laughs> I'm like, y'all look silly, too. Like, there's things that people could say about y'all. I'm sorry, I'm getting too... <laughs> like, defensive of my kids here. But it's like... Bullying is on one level, but, like, making fun of somebody for being a nerd sucks, but, like, y'all are even, like, racist. I, why? You know what I mean? Why, why is that a thing? I don't know. I guess it's where, like, now that we live in, like, I mean, I know people are still to this day, and it's bad, but it's, like, people are never this openly racist anymore unless they're, like, really, it's just weird to see kids being openly racist to another kid like this I, it, it was done to me but it's like it's kind of jarring still you know what I mean like it just seems so I mean it is wrong obviously but it's like it just to see it so openly and unabashedly you know doing it in public just it's just like wow they just really just do that you know what I mean it's not okay and you know they make fun of mostly Dustin because he doesn't have teeth and they make him do that arm thing. And he does it. And uh, I'm like, I would just be like, leave me the freak alone. You guys suck. But whatever. <laughs> I love that. I love Mike's reaction to this. Because they make him do the arm thing where he can kind of touch his shoulders to each other. Which is really cool. Um, honestly. Like, I mean, who, nobody else can do that. Um, but Mike's like, I think it's kind of cool. Like, you have superpowers or something. And it's like... Lucas is nodding and smiling about it. And they're like, we're going to... I love this about Mike. The character of Mike, I love this about him. He is like this so much all the time. And I feel like we don't appreciate it enough. Or maybe I just don't. But he's always doing this. You know, he's always turning things that people insult other people with into something positive to make them feel better. And not just to make them feel better, but it's like stuff he genuinely like finds to say positive about it that's true. You know what I mean? Like, he really does think this is cool, you know? He's like, I think it's kind of cool, because it's like, you have superpowers. And like I said, I do too, kind of. It's like, oh, well, that, that's unique. You know, nobody else could do that. It could come in handy, like, you know, crawling through a vent or something, if the vent was a little bit bigger, and it wasn't, you know, um, that's a later season thing. But still, you know, it could come in handy, to be honest. Like, you know, he could do that to crawl into a vent or something if he needed to, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I think Mike truly believes that it's cool. Uh, he's finding something true and positive to say about it. It's not like he just says it 
and doesn't mean it, but he he always does this. You know, he he's so kind like this, and he's always like, I don't know, Mike's just a really good friend to his friends, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no wonder they kind of fight over, like, who gets to be his best friend or whatever, because he's really, you know, <laughs> I think I'm, like, each time I watch the show, like, if I watch it over and over again in different, like, seasons, or just watch it all the way through several different times, I'll find different things to, like, kind of cling to, like, like, one viewing of it I watched all the way through. I was like, Noah is the best actor, you know, whatever. Of course, at first, I was always obsessed with Eleven, but, you know, I just noticed this just now. Just Well, I've noticed it before, but it's just like, Mike, you know, later on in season two, and, you know, oh, I noticed it really heavy in season two, but Mike is just such a good friend to his friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? And him, that little moment where he's like, I think it's kind of cool. And it's like, I love this about Mike. I love Mike as like, he's just such a good friend to his friends. And it's like, oh, how can you not love these kids? <laughs> Every single one of them is just so lovable. And I'm, I'm going to be gushing about things that they all do at certain points. <laughs> just trust me on that. I already know. Already, I'm already thinking of scenes later on with different ones of them just how much I love these kids. Anyway, so we're also following Nancy's school life, which I kind of wouldn't have expected because it seemed like she was just the mean older sister of Mike, but we're also going to be following her character and her school and her life. And she's talking to Barb about Steve, blah, blah, blah. It's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's like, I don't have much to say about this. And they're making out in the bathroom, and Steve wants to hang out later, and she's like, no, I'm gonna be a good girl and do my homework. And he's all like, <laughs> he's like, I'm stealthy, like, I'll sneak in your window, I'm stealthy, like a ninja. And it's like, um, I'm feeling like it's really hard not to like him, though. Like, you know what I mean? Even at this point, when we don't know anything about him, and he was supposed to be kind of an antagonistic person towards, you know, Nancy and Jonathan and all them, because, you know, he gets all jealous boyfriend all that which he, he had a right to you know in a way but I think even early on he wasn't that bad you know what I mean like when we really look at it and the things he said and did he wasn't really that bad even from the start um so he's just he likes a girl and she likes him back what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that it's fine <laughs> they're having a good time you know Typical teenage getting to know each other bullcrap. <laughs> and now, but he's like, I'm stealthy, like a ninja. And it's like, he's kind of funny and quirky and like silly. So I think he's, I mean, even right here, I think he's pretty likable. It's hard. I mean, Joe Carey brings this quality of just like, uh, I don't know. You can just feel that he's a nice guy, but he, he's, he's got, you know, he's got something. He's just likable. You know what I mean? Like I just, it's hard now for me to go back and watch it you know, since I know him better, but even, like, I don't know, <clears throat> even only watching season one, and then going back and watching it again, I'm like, you know, he wasn't even that bad from the start. I mean, he did, like, a couple bad things, but I think it was mostly just that feeling you get when you, like, I want Nancy to be with this other person, so I hate the guy she's with, but it's like, it's not really his fault, is it? Um, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it's not. But anyway, he's he's cute. <clears throat> you know, she's straight-laced. She's got this cardigan on. She's real tiny. I can't, can't. Natalia Dyer is, like, so freaking tiny, man. It's it's crazy. But, you know, they're 
just typical teenage stuff. And she's trying to be a good girl, but she likes him. So she kind of gives in. <clears throat> I love this Bronco of Hoppers. He wheels it in there. <laughs> he stumbles in there smoking a cigarette. And Flo, the secretary, is like, good of you to show up. So apparently it's like later in the you know day than what he should have been here. And they kind of, you know, joke with each other. He's like, you look like crap. And he's like, I look better than your wife this morning when I left her, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then Flo's like, you know why you were drinking or sleeping or whatever it is you deem so important on Monday morning? Phil Larson called and he said kids are stealing his gnomes again. And <laughs> Hopper's like, oh yeah, I'll get right on that. And uh, <clears throat> then she starts telling him about Joyce. Um, he kind of fixes, they're playing cards. His deputies are playing cards with each other and he kind of like helps them out there. He's super smart. Like, we don't know this yet, but he just does not care about his job. <laughs> you can just tell. He's like, I'm not taking this seriously. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to take seriously. I mean, obviously, the gnome thing. You're not going to care about that. <laughs> he gets a donut, and he's like, she starts telling him that Joyce can't find her son, and she's upset, and he still does not care, which is like, what? <laughs> but he's like, Flo, we've discussed this. The mornings are for coffee and contemplation. And then she starts talking again. He's like, coffee and contemplation. And I'm like, that's a meme. <laughs> and it, it, it is a meme. And it's like, I mean, you know, I feel the same way. <laughs> coffee and contemplation. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. He's right. Um, but not when you're in chief of police and you have a kid going missing. But she's like, okay, whatever. Because he just takes off and like, she's like, can't reason with him. But then he goes into his office and Joyce is sitting there and it's like, you know, he has to deal with it whether he wants to or not because she's right there. I love this conversation and the way they play off each other. These actors, I mean, Winona is legendary, but David Harbour really just came to the, into this. And I don't think he was in anything before this that, that's like on TV or whatever, maybe theater and stuff, but. He just came into this and just blew everything out of the water. He is perfect. His his line readings, everything. I mean, he is he is on point. I love David Harbour so freaking much. Oh my gosh! Like even in real life, the things he does, it's just, he's he's the kindest. He's so smart and kind and great. But acting wise, especially, he's just. They found the perfect person to play Harbour, and his acting skills are. I don't even know how he didn't get roles before this, but they snatched him up, and it just. I'm so glad, you know, I'm so glad this is the first thing I saw him in. I'm so glad they got him. He's just, he's, he is not only, you know, he's exceeding, you know, which Winona is pretty much the only really famous person in this show at this, you know, when it started, but it's like, she is doing, believe me, she's doing fantastic. This is probably her best performance I've ever seen, but he them two, he's holding his own with Winona. You know what I mean? That takes a lot. And he's not, he's just right there with her. They're just perfect. But his line readings are great. And she's upset. She's like, he's not like me. He's not like you. He's not like most. You know? And she's like, I don't know. The kids are mean. They make fun of him. They make fun of his clothes. And like, Hopper's like, his clothes? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, what's wrong with his clothes? <laughs> it's like, she's like, I don't know. Does that matter? And he's like, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, intense and you're worried alongside of her but like he's also funny you know what I mean and it's like <laughs> I don't know maybe because I'm watching it for like the 10th time ever like I can like kind of laugh about this stuff but 
I like how he says that. He's like, what's wrong with his clothes? And she's like, I don't know. Is that a, does that even matter? And he's like, maybe. <laughs> it, totally does. it totally doesn't. But <laughs> I love it. Anyway, <clears throat> they have this back and forth. And she's trying to get him to care about this more. And he's like, he's probably just, you know, he's giving these simple explanations, which a lot of times probably are true. But, you know, she's right and he's wrong. That's going to be the theme of this season is Joyce is right about everything and nobody believes her and they should. <laughs> they talk about Lonnie and it's implied that he's the dad and she says he's not around. So we got that deal figured out. They drop in this information perfectly seamlessly. Um, <clears throat> he says 99, 99 times out of 100 the kid's with a parent or relative and she's like what about the other Tom? He's like, what? And she's like, you said 99 out of 100. What about the one time, the one time? And I'm like, she is just on point. Like, she she knows exactly what's going on. She's a mom. She can feel it. You know what I mean? Like, she's just, I love her. And she's so, I love Winona, but I love Joyce as well. Just both of them. <laughs> like, the character and the actress. Just, oh, you know. You can kind of tell that they're familiar with each other. He talks about stuff you feel like they know each other she calls him hop and hopper you know she doesn't say chief or anything like that they're familiar he knows lonnie and she, he's like you know the four years i've been working here the worst thing that happened was al got in ellen eleanor gillespie's hair or whatever and she's going mad though i mean like <clears throat> not really but she's like a level of concern that she should be or maybe not even enough <laughs> because we know what's going on now like I know what's going on she should be way more worried than she is but <clears throat> um yeah you know that's that's just a great scene and their chemistry with each other is incredible and uh we get some information and we kind of feel like yeah Hopper has lived here his whole life but he's only been the chief for four years which he left and came back and we found that out later um and then we see the freaking lab again. Ugh. Then we see these people pull up and then we see this guy standing there in like a trench coat and they're like, Dr. Brenner. So it's like, his name matters. The rest of these people don't. They're just background characters. But he's the bad guy. I mean, we just know. You just know. You just feel it. You see him standing there. He's outside the lab. He's in charge. So yeah, we just know. He's the bad guy. And they're talking about this area is sealed off, quarantine, blah, blah, blah. Like quarantine the area. Um, they're evacuating the building or place in the building, you know. So they're quarantining things off. But it's like, so this creature's not still in the lab. It's just, you know, gone. Uh, obviously, it escaped. We, you think that, you know what I mean? Like, escape from here, which kind of is true, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know where it came. You know, we don't know what hole it crawled out of. Could have been, you know. But mostly, it probably did come directly because it, 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 it had attacked the guy in the elevator that was right near the lab where he walked out in front of, or it walked out in front of Will. So it's like he probably just went directly from the lab outside. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we're like, this thing escaped this lab, though. Like, you know what I mean? We kind of just, we know it's connected, obviously. But yeah, they got quarantined off. It doesn't, this is kind of just stuff going on. They're all getting suited up in like hazmat gear, even Dr. Brenner. And they go down the elevators, and they come out. They're even carrying, like, guns and stuff. 
And it's scary, because it's like, we're even scared for them, just because this creature is, like, freaking crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's this big, scary creature thing. It's like Safa maybe all these people in these hazmat suits are getting off the elevator in this floor where everything, there's, like, dust floating through the air. There's no lights. It's all creepy. Um, very, like, you know, typical Safa stuff. They found, like, gunk, brownish, I don't know, stuff on the wall, like, squelching. I mean, even the caption says it's squelching, so it's like these slimy spots all over the place. And it's the low growling, and it's like, what the heck is growling? And they come into this room, and it's like extra, and then we see this just unbelievable sight of, I don't know, <laughs> vines growing out everywhere, and this like webbing thing, and this hole in the wall. It's like crazy and it's like your mom is like I've never seen anything like this before so it's all crazy and it's growling so it's alive whatever it is it's kind of living so it's it's bad and Brenner looks at it and he's like uh, oh crap <laughs> but it's like you feel like they're trying to fix it but at the same time you kind of feel like they're responsible which is both things are true and they're like is this where it came from the thing we saw you know we just automatically know that and um they're like, yes. And he's like, and the girl? And Brenner's like, she can't have gone far. So it's like, what girl? There's a girl? What girl? What the heck? And then we see, like, grass and it's, you know, looks like fall time and uh, there are dead leaves everywhere. Then we see these bare feet, like, walking on these dead leaves and it's like, what the heck is this? This I'm excited for. This is a great introductory moment. Perfect. So we see these feet, and then we like the camera pans up to this person wearing like a hospital gown, and then it pans up more, and we see this kid with no hair, and we don't know, you know, because he just said, and the girl, and they're like, he, she can't have gone far, so obviously they're talking about this one, you know, and she's obviously a girl, and then she's watching this guy, turn the camera pans around, and she's looking, and there's this dude carrying trash out of this building. And he looked, he's wearing an apron, so obviously it's just like a restaurant. Benny. <laughs> like, I'm carrying on about this as though it's the first time anybody's seen it. But obviously most people have seen all this and they know what's going to happen. But, you know, <clears throat> this is Benny. And Benny is the sweetest man. And that just is not Benny. Come on. I was more sad about Benny than Barb. I, I will say it. Sorry for the hot take, but I was more sad about Benny than Barb. But so many questions are coming up because Will's missing and then we see this kid and we're like, did somebody take Will and then turn him into this kid? You know what I mean? Or like the first time I watched it, I, I was like m more unaware of what was happening. So I was like focused on where's Will. So I was like, is this Will without hair? Because they kind of look similar. You know, if you cut all of Noah's hair off, he wouldn't look that much different than her. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. Especially if they did things to him. You know what I mean? Like if he went, if somebody took him and put him in this outfit and shaved his hair off. You know what I mean? Like they just, you just don't know what he would look like without hair. Even the other guy kind of says like, it could be, it could be him if he didn't have hair. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's kind of, you're kind of like, what is this? You don't think of them because you're worried about where's Will. And then they introduce this new kid. So it's like. You're not thinking, like, oh, these are separate kids. You're kind of focused on, like, where's Will? So it's like, is this Will and, like, you know, have they experimented on Will and made him look like this? What the heck? You know what I mean? Like, it's just... And this kid sneaks into the back door of the restaurant 
and then goes into the kitchen area and is looking around, sees, you know, that guy talking to other guys and sees that they're busy, so she's got a chance to look around. She's smart. She's smart already. Like, it's just, she's, you know, she's not totally unaware of how to, you know, hide and crap. So she sneaks over and sees this basket of fries, so she takes one and tastes it, realizes that she likes it. And I've never seen anybody do this before, but she just, like, grabs the entire, like, all the fries at once and just starts shoveling them in her mouth. And she, like, literally bends over and starts just shoveling them into her mouth like a wild animal. And then Benny turns around and sees and is like, hey. And she looks up and it's just like, she's so good. She looks so, she's such a good actress. The way she did that, <laughs> looks so good. And he chases her down and he's like, you think you can steal? She, she, she takes off running, but not before she can grab the basket. She takes the basket with her. She's like, I'm not leaving these fries. These are important to me. So she, I mean, honestly, and she takes him and goes and he chases her and then he grabs her and he's like, you think you can steal from me, boy? And then he like sees that it's a girl <clears throat> and she kind of looks, you know, wash her head shaved and, you know, this girl and she's in this like, he kind of realizes like, what is this? You know what I mean? It's not just some kid and, you know, this kid is wearing like a hospital gown and it's a girl and her head shaved. What the heck? You know, and he's like, what in the H? You know, and so. She just looks kind of stunned at him. She drops the fries, which is a shame because she was really loving them fries. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I love that they had her, I don't know whose idea this was, but her, instead of just eating them one by one, she just takes her hands both and just grabs the whole thing of fries and just, like, shovels them into her mouth. And she's not even eating them individually. She just, like, you know. And uh, <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> and, uh... Yeah, so after he catches her and sees, you know, something's wrong here. This is, this is not typical. This is not just some kid stealing food. This is like a kid that needs food, stealing food. And they're obviously in trouble. So he, anyway, we cut away to Mr. Clark's room. The boys are in class and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to see what happens in this scene, if there's anything to talk about here. Probably so, because look at this. I'm almost at an hour and we're about halfway through this episode. <laughs> I mean, well, y'all are way beyond an hour. This is, on this specific recording, I'm almost at an hour. I'm past an hour on the actual podcast. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we're going to take a break, since we're about halfway there, and um, do an ad break. And, uh, you know, since I would cut this up into smaller, but I want to do an episode per episode, like an episode of the show per episode of the podcast, and apparently people like the long episode with the E.T. So maybe that works for y'all. Uh, maybe people like long episodes. So, okay, we'll do it. We'll, we're just going to try to make this each episode per episode. I've managed it with Cruel, <laughs> Cruel Summer. So somehow I managed it with Cruel Summer. But, I mean, this is a lot more stuff. But still. Um, yeah, we're gonna. I'm going to try to get it all in one episode. Each episode in one episode of the podcast. So anyway, ad break time. So that was the ad break, and let's get right back into it. Um, we're introduced to Mr. Clark, who's just saying teacherly things like teachers do. And, um, you know, all the kids run out of the room, and then once all the kids are gone, we're left with our three boys that are at school, um, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas, and... They're just, like, standing in front of his desk expectantly, and he looks at them, and they're like, did it come yet? 
And he's like, I'm sorry, boys, but it came. And he's like, you know, so we're like, so he's like friendly. He's like, you know, nice or whatever. So we've been introduced to Mr. Clark. So they run into this room and, um, you know, it cuts away. And they run into this room and there's this like, I don't know, radio. What do they call it? Anyway, um, we'll see what they call it. I haven't gotten to that part yet, but that's the introduction to Mr. Scott Clark. We don't know his name Scott yet, but he'll be popping up here and there. And it's a joy and a pleasure to watch. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, it's called, like, a Heath, Heath Kit. And it's, like, a ham radio. And um, they are definitely taking that word seriously because they are acting silly. But it's fun. Um, you know, he's like, we could, I bet we could talk to California with this thing. He's like, think bigger. And then he keeps telling them how uh, far they can talk to people. And they're like, Australia, which is, like, literally, you know, the other side of the earth. And he, like, nods, and, and Lucas is like, holy shit. And he's like, Lucas. And Lucas is like, sorry. And then, like, Lucas turns back around, and, like, behind his back, uh, Mr. Clark kind of, like, smiles because he's happy that they're happy. And I'm like, I love this man. He He's so sweet. Like, he's responsible. He's, like, super responsible, but at the same time, he is, like, a great teacher. You know what I mean? Like, he actually likes that they like to learn. So they're part of their Hawkins AV club, and I guess he's their AV club leader you know and um so that's cool he's cool we like him he's his you know he's gonna tell him like don't say that word but he's also like happy that they're that happy you know what I mean it's really cute actually but they're talking in Australian you know and Mike and Dustin are doing Australian accents and then like the principal or somebody comes in and it's like excuse me I need to see these three boys you know and it's like Hopper is standing out in the hall just looking very annoyed at them <laughs> and the deputy is standing out there I think both the deputies are out there but he's like I need to see these boys and they're gonna talk to him about or they're you know they're getting police interviewed and they're like terrified which behind the scenes info um David Harbour refused to actually talk to any of the children before this scene and act grouchy around them so that they would actually be scared of him <laughs> So this scene, they're actually scared of him. And then later, they're, like, literally punching him in the stomach, being like, I don't care. You know, they're, they're now that they know him, they're just like, he's a big teddy bear, you know what I mean? He's so, like, <laughs> a lot of people on the internet were calling people daddy, like, a lot. And I was, like, not into it, except for Lily Ronhart, who is daddy. But, <laughs> she just, you know, but anyway... Um, I'm not a huge fan of Riverdale, but I love Lily. Ron I love all the actors, but Lily Reinhardt especially. But anyway, um, I was like, I don't really like that. I mean, they the Riverdale actors were saying it a lot as a joke. You know what I mean? They were saying it like ironically a lot, and that's funny. But um, <laughs> saying it seriously, I was always like, that's kind of weird. And then I saw, like, <laughs> I think it was after season two that uh, David Harbour did, like, a photo shoot where he's wet. He's sitting in a tub smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, I get it now. This man is daddy. <laughs> like, he really is. He was the first guy. I was like, okay, we can call him daddy. Like, this, yeah, this is this is what it is. Only David Harbour, though. No other celebrities have, have I been like, I'm okay with it. Well, Lily Reinhardt and David Harbour. Um, so, David, if you're listening, yeah, 
<laughs> oh, that's a big deal, you know. But anyway, so Daddy is standing out the hallway. <laughs> um, but no, he's cute. He's so cute. Like, I like at first I was just like he's just some dude, but now that I know him, I'm like oh, I love I love the character of Hopper and I love David Harbor the actor as well. Uh, but anyway, let's go back to it. <laughs> I don't want to gush on. I'm going to be gushing on him and probably Millie Bobby Brown's acting skills a lot. And obviously Winona. But anyway. I love this. They're all talking all over each other because they're trying to say like stuff about Will. And he's like, no, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. One in his home. He like motions towards Mike. He's like, you. What did you say? And he's like, he takes what home? And, and Mike's like, Mirkwood. And uh, Hopper looks at his deputy and he's like, you ever hear Markwood? He's like, no, uh, that sounds made up to me. <laughs> These deputies are fantastic. Like, they are comedy gold all the time. Like, I love both of these deputies. I'm not seeing the other one, but one, the one with curly hair is there. Um, but he's like, Lucas is actually being, like, the more calm one of all the kids, honestly. He's like, no, it's from Lord of the Rings. So they call it Markwood, but the road actually doesn't have a name, I don't think. <laughs> he's scaring them and they're all you know it's cute they're, when you first watch it the first time you're kind of like um, worried more because you don't know where Will is but when you're watching it over again you're like in, kind of more enjoying the comedy of these scenes but the boys are like it's the Hobbit no it's shut up it's, it doesn't matter blah 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 and Mike's like it is a real road you know but um, what I'm laughing at mostly is like Hopper stands up to intimidate them and he's like, don't make myself clear. And they just look at him and he stands up and he like looks down at them. And he's like, do I make myself clear? And I literally almost said, yes, daddy. Like <laughs> literally almost did. Oh gosh, it's hot in here. <laughs> Hopper is hot. I'm like, I don't know why I'm suddenly like super attracted to him. Um. I mean, it's not sudden, but it's like, in this in this viewing, I'm like, dang, like, him saying that, he's acting so forceful. <laughs> anyway, um, let's not, let's not get like this. Um, but I, I literally almost <laughs> responded to him, and then I literally almost said that back. But anyway, um, we see a flag, and then this little building thing made out of sticks, and um, people are, Joyce is there yelling, you know, looking for Will, so, I love this little, I don't know, fort, it's a flashback, and, um, <clears throat> we see this little shed type thing, and, um, Joyce buzzes the bell, and she's, she's like, can I come in, and you hear Will inside, and he's like, that's how we know it's a freaking flashback, you know, and he's like, what's the password, and she remembers it, and, like, I just want to say that Joyce is making me cry almost just because she's a good mom and like I'm not this person that's like good motherhood motherhood is the I'm I'm like I never want to have kids and I'm just kind of like you know not the person to be like a good mom does this or a good mom does that but I, like I'm into psychology and so like her being this way like I like this because she might not have her crap together because she lost her keys and she lost her kid. But 
you know, he's missing, you know what I mean? But, like, she doesn't have the best house. She tries her hardest, though, you know, and all this stuff. Her house is not always spotless. But here's what she does do. She learns about the things that are important to Will. And I am about to cry. <laughs> she knows the password. She knows the password, and she cares that she knows the password. And she gets invested in his stuff that he likes. And I'm just like, this woman... Chef's kiss on this woman right here. This character is... I love her so much. I love Winona. But this character is... Like, the fact that she cares about his stuff that he likes. And it's like, she really does invest, you know, herself into trying to learn things that's important to him. And it, even though, you know, she knows, like, oh, he's not going to... You know, you always hear the, oh, it's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. He's not going to like comic books later. He's not going to like Dungeon Dragons later. It's important to him right now. And it doesn't matter about the thing. It doesn't matter what he's into. The fact that she tries to learn for him is important to him. And it, that is something that will last. And he will remember. My mom always, you know, took the time to learn about this stuff. The stuff I cared about, you know what I mean? So it is important. It is important that she learns this. You know what I mean? Like, it's not super important that she learns everything. But the fact that she's trying to actually learn things about the stuff he's into, no matter how trivial the stuff is, like Dungeons & Dragons or whatever comic book or show, Lord of the Rings, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. She doesn't have to learn about that stuff because it's that stuff, but... It's the fact that she's trying for him on his, you know, to to relate to him, to to care about what he cares about because, you know, I'm actually crying. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm literally sobbing right now. Um, yeah, that's so important, and it's such a small thing. It's not really that hard, but it's it shows so much love towards him. It's something that he will recognize. You know, it's something that matters a lot to him. And so it's just, it's so great that she's like this. You know what I mean? She, she's the best mom ever. And like, I really, I'm literally like, tell me that this character, Joyce Byers, is not Mrs. Brisby in human form. Like, she's Mrs. Brisby in human form. Like, they are so much alike. They are so much alike. Literally ride or die. You know what I mean? Like, they are so strong, you know, and they're so scared and seemingly timid, but they're not, actually. They're so strong, you know? And so it's like, oh, I just, I'm literally, and, and the stuff she does, you know what I mean? The stuff Joyce does with Will when, you know, oh, like, she gets all frazzled. She loses her keys. She doesn't have a lot of money. You know, her house is not big or fancy or well-decorated or even clean, you know, because she doesn't have time to clean. She's got to go to work. It's not her fault. You know, she gets annoyed, you know, because Jonathan, you know, stayed over at work and, you know, like that kind of stuff. But it's like, she will, you know, she knows her kids personally, like so well. And it's like, she is, you know, just, I want to hug her. <laughs> She's so great. It gets to the heart of, like, what kind of parenting she does. That it's just, she's like, you know, people always, like, 
well, you got to cut up the bread and do this, set the, set out their lunch and do this, da, 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 be the perfect Carol Brady mom, which she didn't even cook, which is like, I don't care. But, she's you know, like, people always like, a good mom would, like, make sure the kids eat healthy and blah, 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 which that's not bad. It's just, I'm saying, like, and Karen Wheeler, you know what I mean? Like, she's a good mom, too. I'm not saying she's not, but she's more of, like, you know somebody would walk in her house and be like, oh yeah, she's the perfect mother because she's got lunch set out for the entire week, you know, or whatever. Joyce is like, I have to give them money to pick up lunch on the way to school for McDonald's, you know what I mean? But she she will do her hardest, you know, in other areas that she can because she doesn't have time to do that because she's got to work, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I just, I just love this woman so much, <laughs> you know? So anyway... And now she's entering the Castle Buyers, is what it's called. And he has a sign up. Will is the cutest, sweetest boy ever because he and he has a sign up out on the outside of the thing. Instead of saying, keep out or no girls allowed or anything like that. Will has a sign on Castle Buyers that says, all friends welcome. And who's the friends? Anybody. Anybody that, you know, is nice to him. You know what I mean? He's the sweetest little boy. <laughs> Like, you know. She's come to tell him that she got tickets to see Poltergeist. He's like, I thought I wasn't allowed to see it. She's like, as long as you promise not to get scared, you know, blah, blah. And they have this cute little moment. I don't need to go through all of it, but it's just really sweet. <clears throat> and um, then we flash back to the present and Joyce is looking in there and she like saws because he's not in there. And she turns around and her and Jonathan are just like, yelling for him and this is going to be a thing that we hear a lot <laughs> if you haven't seen it um just people yelling will continuously for like a long time <laughs> um and I made jokes about the show after like I was at like town and some store had like um Christmas lights hanging up and it wasn't near Christmas but they just had Christmas lights hanging up and I was like I was looking around and I was like will <laughs> Or, like, the lights flicker, and I'm like, Will? I still do it. Um, there's so much meme potential in this show as well. So, anyway, yeah, they're looking for him, but obviously um, he's not anywhere to be found. Back to Benny's restaurant. He's frying some burger, and then he's feeding it to Eleven. And she's not, she's not wearing a hospital gown anymore. She's wearing like a long yellow t-shirt and she's like scarfing down that cheeseburger like she's starving. And he's like, your parents forget to feed you? Like what? He keeps asking her questions and I'll chime in anytime there's something I want to talk about. He tries to get Eleven to talk and she doesn't. And uh, he takes the food away and he's like, you know, he t he's like, I'm Benny Hammond, shakes her hand. And he's like, have your parents been mean to you? You go to the hospital, you get scared, you run away. What happened? She won't answer anything, and he sees her tattoo on her wrist, and he's like, Eleven, what's that mean? And she won't answer, and she says no, and he's like, well, she speaks. He's like, what's that mean? And she won't tell him, so he's like, okay, no more food. And then she's like, Eleven, and he's like, yeah, what's it mean? And she, like, pokes herself in the throat, and I'm like, no, you don't have to go that hard, girl. And she, like, taps herself, though, and she's like, Eleven, like, she's Eleven, that's her name. And, uh... He's like, okay, and gives her food back, and then he's like, take it easy, because she's, like, scarfing it down. And, uh, she's starving, and she's eating fries, and, uh, he says he might even give her ice cream later, you know what I mean? He's like, you can have all the food you want, you know? And it's like, ugh, this guy is sweet, but he calls social services 
Which is a good idea, in theory. He tells them that he thinks she's been abused or maybe kidnapped because she's super scared. And, uh, then we see her eating. Was I not recording? I don't even remember what the last thing I said was. Okay, so Benny calls social services, which is a good idea in theory. That's what I said, I think, last. But anyway, this fan is going crazy. Um, rattling, and she, like, gives it this look, and it, it shuts off. And that's, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> and I'm like, should I be scared of her? And then, yeah, I should. But anyway, um, no, really, she's great. <laughs> but uh, the first time I saw this, I was just like, um, okay, that's not normal. <laughs> Stranger things indeed. I love how she just, like, shuts it off and then casually goes back to eating a fry and then, like, wiping her hands. Like, yep, that's right. I'm the boss. I say what makes noise around here. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, <laughs> I like her attitude. Anyway, then we see some cops, like, driving real fast and we don't know where they're going. Mark Wood, I guess. Hopper takes another pill that we don't know what it is, and then he finds Will's bike crashed on the side of the road. And Hopper's right. It, so does that, it doesn't make sense that he, you know, because they're like, you think he got hurt? And he's like, well, he walked away, and he would have taken his bike. So that's it's finding just his bike here is weird. You know what I mean? Like, he would have walked at home if he just, you know, got hurt a little bit. Unless he got, if he had got hurt real bad, he'd still be laying here. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh... <laughs> This don't make any sense. <laughs> Unless somebody took him from here, you know. Then we see the lab again, and they're listening in on people's phone conversations, like the government likes to do. I know you're listening now, FBI agents. <laughs> but I'm watching a show, and I'm allowed to make criticisms of it. Okay? Um, <laughs> so, in this show, the government in this show, are they're listening to Joyce's conversation with... Um, Lonnie, blah, 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 and then she's trying to call Lonnie, which is Will's dad, and then, uh, you know, apparently he's nowhere to be found, because he's a jerk, and then, uh, Cynthia answers the phone, I guess it's his little girlfriend or whatever, <laughs> and then, uh, Joyce is like, I don't have time for this, because she's like, I need to talk to Lonnie, and Cynthia's like, this is his girlfriend, Cynthia, you know, I'm his girlfriend, not you anymore, and she's like, I li literally don't give a crap. Like, this is about his child, so you're just being stupid. And she gets mad and hangs up on her. She's like, that teenager? <laughs> she gets real mad. Um, the lab also listens in on Benny's conversation um, to the place, um, the social services. So they got everybody tapped. But anyway, this is her talking to Cynthia. Cynthia hangs up on her, and she's like, bitch, and like hangs up the phone. And I'm like, that's that's right. And she calls back and leaves a message. She's like, some teenager just hung up on me. And, like, she's mad. And then the cops come. Jonathan sees them. You know, Jonathan's like, Mom, you have to stay calm. And it's like, how can she, Jonathan? But, I mean, he's trying to be, you know, helpful. And um, he's making, like, missing posters. And then the cops come, which is Hopper. And she runs out there. And he has the bike, which is like, is that a good sign or what? No, probably not. <laughs> yes, follow the dog. The dog knows what's up. Um, Hopper's a good detective, though, because he's like, you know, she's like, if you found the bike, why did you come here? And he's like, well, he came home, probably, you know. And she's like, you think I didn't, I'm just seeing if he came home. And she's like, you think I didn't check my own house? He's like, I didn't say that. 
And then he finds this, like, mark on the wall where it looks like the door's been opened and crashed into the wall. He's like, how long has this been here? And she's like, I don't know. I have two boys. Look at this place. And he's like, you know, seeing what might have happened, you know. And it's like, that's a good catch, though. I mean, it is. He hears the dog barking and he follows the dog, which is like a good... I mean, that's good. Dogs do have instincts. And the dog is barking at the shed. The dog knows. It's like... Hey, I was here. I know what happened. I wish I could tell you guys, but like, you know, he doesn't know exactly what happened though. Cause nobody even, we saw it happen and we still don't know, you know, but, um, dogs barking at the shed. Cause that's where, you know, stuff happened. But Hopper, you know, he's like, what's up with this guy? And she's like, he's probably just hungry, but Hopper has good enough instincts as a detective to be like that dog is onto something. So he goes and checks the shed, which is like a good idea. You know what I mean? Like if, if this wasn't, you know, if there wasn't a interdimensional creature that could hop you through dimensions, then that'd be a good place to start. Cause that's the literal last place Will was on this dimension. Sorry to spoil it, but he's in another dimension, you know, obviously, but, <clears throat> um, he's, the last place he was, was a shed. So the dog was not wrong. And Hopper is smart for following the dog's advice. <laughs> smart man he notices the bullets are out and that the gun is off the rack and so he's like where did the gun go like he he knows you know what i mean and the light clicks off and um he gets a flashlight and he's looking around and he hears squelching which is like this squelchy you know that slimy stuff that was at the lab is like around there somewhere and then the light kicks on suddenly, and and he like swings around, and because somebody's like, "Hello," and uh, Hopper like jumps, and he's like, "Hey, I've been calling you. What are you deaf?" And like Hopper's like, and we're like, "Where did he go?" Like you know what I mean? Because he just like couldn't even hear anybody hollering for him. So anyway, yeah, that shows my redneck hollering for him. But um, he had been yelling for him, and you know. Then he tells him, we gotta call Flo, get out, search party, you know, bring flashlights, blah, blah, blah. Then we go over to Mike's house, and they're talking about, like, you know, we should be out there looking for him. And they're like, you heard the chief, he said not to do anything. And he's like, I don't care what he said. (laughs) We're gonna look for our friend, you know. And that's just exactly what they would do in this situation. (laughs) But it's like, it's not bad. I mean, it's probably not a good idea, but it it is, at the same time, a good idea. Because it's like, y'all, just, you know. Um, responsibility goes out the window when you're in a fictional show, so we can say that it's a good idea because it's fiction. Um, I don't advise any children to go out looking for their missing friends, but, um, in this show it's a good idea. Actually, it was Mike and his family, and they're having dinner, and he's like, I want to go help Will, and his mom's like, the chief said no, and, you know, she's like, I don't think anybody should be going out. Nancy says she wants to go study with Barb, and her mom says no to that, and she's like, why is it, why am I being punished, because... Mike's friend had to go and get himself lost. And it's like, you're kind of being a bitch. And uh, Mike's like, how is this Will's fault? And it's like, seriously. You know, that's rude. And um, she's like, nobody's leaving, you know, until they find Will. Because that means she's being a responsible parent. I mean, she's, you know, I I don't disagree with her. She's like, nobody goes anywhere. And then uh, Nancy gets mad and leaves. And then uh, she she says something like, this is such bullshit. The dad's just like, language. (laughs) calmly and then Mike's like says something like he he says something a cuss word and his dad just overlooks that he's like she's pissed off because she can't see Steve <clears throat> uh Karen's like who's Steve and uh 
you know, all this, and that's when Nancy, like, walks off, and she says, you're such a douchebag, Mike, and her dad's like, language! Like, uh, it's just so comical, in a way. But it's chaos, and then, uh, Nancy leaves and gets mad, and then his dad's Ted is like, you see? You see what happens? And he's like, what happens when what? And it's like, honestly, like, what did he even do? <laughs> like, his friend went missing. That's like, not even his fault, and it's not even Will's fault, so it's like, what? I don't even know, but anyway. <clears throat> so he gets mad and leaves. And then uh, Karen's like, hope you're enjoying your chicken, Ted. <laughs> she, like, takes Holly and, like, goes. And he's like, what'd I do, huh? What'd I do? <laughs> it's like he is the most oblivious person. He is the most oblivious person in this entire show. And, like, later he gets called out for it. I think it's in, like, season two. Or maybe it's in this season. I can't remember. But Dustin shows up and he's like, you're, you're useless. You know that, Mr. Wheeler? And it's like, he's not wrong. <laughs> like he's not a bad guy he's just completely useless but anyway so the search party is out looking for Will when they're yelling his name so we get a little bonding here with Scott Clark and Hopper um, he's like he's a good student and Hopper's like what? and he's like Will he's a great student like he's he's a good student he's great actually and um, he's like I'm a science teacher blah 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 they have a conversation and um, Hopper's like you know, says something about his teacher, and Scott's like, uh, Mr. Clark's like, oh yeah, she's still kicking around, if you can believe it, and Hopper's like, yeah, I wasn't good at science, blah, 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 and, um, he says, my daughter, Sarah, and it's like, daughter, what, where's she, you know, and he's like, my daughter, Sarah, always understood that universes and galaxies and all that stuff, he's like, I, I never, I always figured there was too much going on down here, and never needed to look elsewhere, and, uh, <clears throat> so Scott starts asking him about his daughter Sarah. He's like, maybe I have her in class, or maybe I will later. <sighs> you know, when you're in the know, it's like, oh no. And Hopper says, no, she lives with her mom in the city. <laughs> he's like, thanks for coming out to help teach. We really appreciate it. But you can tell he's kind of like, you know, down now that he's mentioned his daughter and it's like you brought her up but I mean you know it's not like that um I can't be holding that against him but um <clears throat> so Hopper just like walks away and we can tell there's something wrong but if you're first watching it you're like um you know he's sad because his daughter doesn't live with him and she lives in the city with her mom so he misses her <sighs> if only that were the case <laughs> some woman walks up to Scott because Hopper walks away and some woman walks up to Scott Clark and she's like, she died a few years back. And he's like, what? She's like, his kid. And so Scott just kind of like looks at Hopper like real sad, you know, because he's compassionate and nice. And it's like, so she's dead. I mean, we found out that she's actually dead and he was lying about her living in the city with her mom. And it's really hard on him. Like Hopper is just not handling it well at all, which is understandable, you know, but it's just sad for him. You know what I mean? And Mr. Clark's a nice guy, so he looks real sad, and I'm sad. I'm sad about it, too. And it's like, she's gone. She died. And so, in your mind, you're automatically like, that little girl. What about that girl that was at Benny's? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I thought immediately. I'm like, that's his daughter, which, you know, I was almost right, because eventually <laughs> she is, but not. she's not Sarah. You know what I mean? So, it's like, maybe Sarah is that girl they found at the diner. But, you know. We're going to get to that later. I love this. Uh, so Mike's on the CB and he talks to Lucas and he tells him like, 
I'm worried about Will, and they're, like, chatting about that. And he's like, I got to thinking, Will cast protection last night. Or he could have cast protection, but he cast fireball. And Lucas is like, what's the point? What's your point? And he's like, he put himself at risk to help the party. And it's like, even if you don't know Dungeons and Dragons, you know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? This is who Will is, and this is what he does, you know? So there ain't no way we're going to, like, let him down. We got to go look for him. So this is the funny part. Mike's, like, leaving his house and, like, Steve is, like, literally trying to climb up on the roof. <laughs> and Mike catches him and, like, stares at him. And Steve just, like, turns around and props his arm up on the side of the roof and just, like, casually, like, hey, what's up? I'm just hanging out here casually. And Mike just kind of, like, shakes his head and rides away because Steve is such a dork. It's like, I'm sorry, but it would be so impossible almost to not like Steve. I mean, I'm so glad that they redeemed him because it's almost impossible not to like him even when he's supposed to be, like, unlikable. <laughs> So Steve like climbs up the window and taps on the window. It's Nancy and like she's like you can't come in here and he's like oh yeah I can sure you know blah 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 and he like climbs in the window and almost falls on his face and he's like what I tell you ninja and he gives her like a thumbs up and she like rolls her eyes and I'm like he is such a dork (laughs) but it's funny and then we go back to Benny's and like he's washing dishes and she's eating ice cream (laughs) I love this child like she's my own I literally do. This is, like, the first time in a long time that I'm happy about a guy telling a girl to smile. Like, <laughs> seriously. Because he's like, you're liking that ice cream, huh? Because she's real into it. She's got a whole tub of ice cream, and she's just, like, having a party, you know? <laughs> and she's like, strawberry ice cream? Heck yeah. I doubt she's ever had ice cream. I don't know. Um, but she smiles at him when he asks if she likes it. And uh, he's like, smile looks good on you. And she looks confused. And he's he's like, smile, you know, smile. And he, like, smiles at her, and she smiles back. And it's like... Oh my gosh, if this was like the apocalypse and these two were a pairing traveling the world together as as like a team of like superheroes that just, she's got the superpowers, but he's cool, you know what I mean? Like that would be, it's just, oh, you know, but there's a knock on the door, so my dreams are ruined. Um, they're realized later with Hopper, which he's perfect, but <laughs> it's just, oh, Benny, he's, he's just a nice guy, you know, it's like, he's allowed, he's allowed to tell her to smile, he's the only one, <laughs> he's the only one that's allowed to tell a girl to smile, but like, he doesn't, you know, obviously, he doesn't mean it that way, she's a literal child, but, um, he's just saying, like, he likes to see her look happy, like, she's, it's the first time she's smiled, you know what I mean, like, that he's seen, or that we've seen, and it's like, She's actually finally feeling comfortable, you know what I mean? And then, freaking, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> anyway, I know what's about to happen, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm upset. Okay, so, they hear a knock, and she, she just, like, whips her head around like she just, you know, is super frightened. And he's like, it's okay, I'll get it, I'll tell him to go away. Um, he he closed down his business for the day to take care of this poor, scared child. I love this man. <laughs> like, he's so... <laughs> and then he opens the door and there's this woman. She's like, he's like, can I help you? And she's like, Hi, you must be Benny Hammond. It's a woman we've never seen before. So she says she's with social services. and She says she's with social services. And he's like, okay, I didn't tell her yet. Cause she's a little bit skittish. And she's like, children I work with usually are. She's playing it good. You stupid... Oh, I can't. Oh, and he like is telling her she's in the kitchen. You know, we'll go get her. Whatever. She's reaching in her bag, and she, and Eleven's watching this from the back. 
And he turns around to say something to her, and she just shoots him right in the head. It's this quick. We'll listen to it. It's. That's funny. Your uh, your voice sounds different. She shoots, and like we see this reaction shot of Eleven. She literally jumps, and she just takes off. And uh, this oh gosh, the things this girl has had to deal with. I can't even. And the woman has shot him, so she takes off. You know what I mean? Perfect song playing in the background, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. This is Eleven's theme song, in my opinion. <sighs> and so she runs, tries to run out the back, but two men come in with guns. And then we see the front door, and Dr. Brenner's walking in. And then he looks down because the radio's on, and it starts to static. And then they hear two men, like, yelling, and then they fall down. They hear a clatter. And Dr. Brenner and them come in the back, and, uh, look. And the two men are just laying there. On the ground, um, completely destroyed by this child. So it's like, she can take care of herself, man. It's crazy. Dr. Brenner and the rest run outside and try to catch her, but she's gone by now. And it's like, this sucks. So she's, just in this night, she's been through a lot of crap that a child shouldn't see. But imagine, you know, on top of everything else she's been through. But the soundtrack is amazing in this part. Just, it's just, oh, I wish I could go back and watch this for the first time ever and see this scene. Because seeing them laying there and knowing she did it and, like, hearing this on the soundtrack, it's just all great. Listen. That's our girl. Sucks for Benny, though. You know what I'm saying? And the boys are looking for Will. Dustin's a little weary about looking around. Uh, then we get a scene with Steve and Nancy and they're studying... They're quote-unquote studying, aka he ends up making out with her if they make out a little bit. And then she's like, I'm not like the other girls. Nancy, <laughs> don't say things like that. <laughs> it's not not sweet. She didn't exactly call them sluts, but she's like, I'm not like, you know, she lists some girls. He's like, you mean you're not a slut? And she's like, that's not what I said. He's like, you're cute when you're lying. And she's like, you're an idiot, Steve Harrington. And he's like, you're beautiful, Nancy Wheeler. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's cute. Okay, it's cute. I don't even care. I'm not a, I'm not into this romance, but this is kind of cute. Because they're both not bad people. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's okay. They're kind of into each other. And it's kind of typical and cute. It's a scene. You know? And it's like, I'm not... This is not a deep kind of relationship, though. This is, like, flirtationship. You know what I mean? It's not... It's, there's there's not anything real deep here, but it's cute. He's funny. She's into it. Whatever. And, like, she's kind of like me, because, like, if she... Calling a guy stupid or an idiot is usually a sign that I like him. You know what I mean? It's not an insult, actually. Unless they really are stupid or an idiot. I mean, you can tell by the way I say it. If I say it to them, I'm like, you're stupid. You know, that's flirting. But if, if I'm like, he is so stupid, <laughs> that's that's serious. But anyway, that doesn't matter. We got six minutes left. So they go back to studying, you know, and he's doing, you know, he's, well, it's whatever. Toto is playing in the background. Thunder's rumbling. We go to Will's house. Um, we have a moment with Will, uh, Joyce and Jonathan. They're looking at pictures Jonathan took, and she's like, these are great. She's like, even though Will's missing, she's taking the time out, and she's like, I feel bad because I've been working so hard. I haven't had time, you know, to be there for you. And she's like, I, I'm so sorry, you know. She's like, 
I don't even know what's going on with you as much, you know, still trying to be a part of Jonathan's life and his interest. Even though Will is missing, she's feeling bad because she hasn't been involved in Jonathan's interests. Like, this woman <laughs> is fantastic. Like, I, and he sobs, you know, and he's not mad at her for that. He's obviously, he's just like, he's worried about Will, you know, because he's like that too. Like, they're all three, every person in this Byers family, <laughs> um, Joyce, Jonathan, and Will are all three just so um, understanding and empathetic and, and self-sacrificing. And uh, it's just so cute. It, I love all of them. <laughs> thank goodness they were raised by their mother only and they didn't end up like Lonnie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank goodness Lonnie left and, and, and Jonathan and Will take after Joyce, you know, because there's nobody better for them. You know what I mean? Like, she's the best person they could have taken after, you know what I mean? Pretty much in the show. So it's like, you know, good, good, good that you left Lonnie. Good. You you did them a service by not being around, honestly. Um, but anyway, they're um, looking for a picture of Will to use for his missing poster. And she's still taking Tom out of being worried about Will to look after her other son. You know, even though he's practically an adult, she's still, you know, making sure to be a mom to him. So it's like, gosh, this woman, I love her so much. How could you not? <laughs> And Jonathan's crying. He's like, I should have been there for him. She's like, this is not your fault. And they're like crying together and supporting each other and being there for each other that they need to be doing. This is, you know, during this whole season, they're not exactly on the same page all the time, you know, but they, they are so good at being supportive of each other, like in this time, you know what I mean? Like they are so good at this, like, and, and, you know, when they do fight, it's because they're both doing what they think is the best thing. You know what I mean? It's They're not, neither of them, you know, do the wrong thing or do things to hurt each other on purpose, to, to hurt each other. You know what I mean? So it's like, they're doing the very best they can in every circumstance. You know what I mean? What they think is the best thing. So it's like, I love them so much. <laughs> I love this whole family so much. They're so great. And she says, I know Will is close. I feel it in my heart. You know, and it's like, she's not exactly wrong. I, I just, she just knows, you know. Phone rings and she says hello and they're static. And then we hear Will breathing. I mean, we do. And I can tell it's him too. Like, I can tell his voice. <laughs> she's like, I know how my son breathes. And I'm like, I can even tell it's him. And he's not even my kid. <laughs> um, She can hear Will and then we hear the chittering. Well, that chittering sound and that growling. And she's like, who is this? What have you done to my boy? Like, she knows there's something there that has Will. You know what I mean? And then uh, she keeps yelling and stuff into the phone. And then the phone shocks her. And then Jonathan does that Dewey from Scream thing where he picks up the phone and is like, Hello? Hello? It's like, too late, bud. Like, the phone's fraud. But anyway, um, let's continue. He He's like, who is this? No one, Jonathan. It's done. Winona deserves so many rewards for this. The boys are looking for him and yelling for him. And Dustin's like, I got your X-Men 134. <laughs> and that's so cute. Um, and they're arguing. It's raining. You know, and they're like, we should go back, blah, blah, blah. And they're arguing. It's raining, blah, blah, blah. It's, I think this is near the end. Dustin is not exactly wrong. He's like, you ever think Will missing because he ran into something bad? And then we're going to the same exact spot he was last seen? That's kind of dangerous. And I'm like, he's not exactly wrong. <laughs> um, but... Lucas is like, you're being a sissy, so we're not doing it. We're not going back. And uh, 
this is kind of similar to E.T. So we're going to see. Even the raincoats. I'm pretty sure he had a raincoat on. Maybe. I can't remember. But anyway. And they turn around. They hear some rustling. And they turn around. And then they turn back around with their flashlights pointed. And there she is. Eleven. Soaking wet in the rain. And she's just like looking at them. And they're looking at her. And then the episode ends. And uh, then next season. Or season. Episode two. Um, we're not going to start it yet. Hey, come on now. We're not starting it yet. Uh, next is chapter two. They call it chapter. Chapter two. The Weirdo on Maple Street. Which, you know, but I don't like that word, but okay. It is what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay. It's an okay word, I guess. It's not that bad, but it's like, you know, when it's used as an insult, it's annoying. Um, but anyway, um, that was episode one, and this has been a long podcast, so I'm not going to try and talk about it um you know i said all i needed to say when things happened and of course we'll get you know more into other things the next time you know in the, in the next episode and i can't wait till season four comes out coming out you know may 27th and this is may like 10th so we're getting close um they're releasing it in two parts um i did watch season two of the wilds I want to watch it again. <laughs> that show is great. Not as good as this one, but it is good. Um, I want to watch the whole thing from season one. You know, I want to watch the whole both seasons again, but I probably will before Stranger Things comes back because I don't have anything else to watch right now. But um, I'm finishing up The Girl from Plainville. I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm watching it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's what I've been doing and watching and blah 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 so uh yesterday was um i think it was yesterday yeah yesterday was fob non mr robot day um the day of the hack and edward alderson's birthday i was thinking it was the day he died but it's actually his birthday um i just remember seeing it on the tombstone and i, I just I was thinking it was his death day but it was his birthday um so <laughs> you know um, what else? I guess that's all for now. Um, I don't really know what to say. Um, I'm sure there's a quote. Hold on, let me see. <laughs> I got one. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Coffee and contemplation. Okay. Until next time.